listening to the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast with your hosts, Corey Draper and Jeff Hughes. What a bastard! Didn't know what happened to him there. My word, Anderson can't believe that he's beside himself with anger. And Tully Blanchard is beside himself almost unconscious. Good down-home cheating. Good down-home good down cheating. Sure. Welcome back for another week of the Legendary Wrestling Obsession Podcast. I'm Corey Draper here with Jeff Hughes. Too much stuff. Oh my goodness. Hold the reins. We got so much wrestling. We, we got to just like, we, we can't rush this. We can't. We got to calm down. That's right. <laughs> the summer of 86, things just explode. And I'm going to tell you from looking over the last year, looking for content, trying to figure out what to put on these shows. There was lots of stuff to look at. But nothing like this. This is just like we could make many, many, many shows out of this. So and that's what we're doing. That's right. <laughs> and we're going to do it. <laughs> we'll be here forever. That's right. <laughs> so what we're focusing on this week and next week is the big show. And about seven weeks ago. That's right. Nine weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> 20 weeks ago. So the big event. It's a major show that happened in Toronto, up here in Canada, August 28th. Started off as sort of just a normal house show and kind of blew up into this massive event with which at the time was the largest wrestling attendance in history. Of Whoa. course, being broken quite soon after that by WrestleMania 3. Oh. But it broke the Shea Stadium record, the 50,000 that were at Shea Stadium, and this is just impressive. It's just the you know, the power of Maple Leaf wrestling and Canadian wrestling fans and their love of everything Hulk Hogan and the WWF. Shea Stadium that was H- Hogan versus Andre. Yeah, the and main Zabis- event was uh, San Martino Sabisco. Sabisco San yeah. Martino, which got incredible uh, protege betrays. That's right, Sensei. <laughs> yeah, it's really good stuff. And I didn't this- really know much about it. Really, actually, I, I heard about it after you know that right heat, of course that yeah. angle yeah but uh yeah i mean everybody knows hogan and andre but yeah it was the original the original one of the original matches of hogan and andre with hogan as a bad guy and andre as a good guy and daytime it's, a, it's a, and yeah it's a neat look it's you like know? a baseball state well i guess is that a baseball stadium We'll figure that out in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. It sounds like a baseball stadium. Kinda looks like I'm pretty one. sure it's not a football stadium. So we're yeah. going to say it's a baseball stadium and make fun of ourselves in the second show when we correct ourselves that right. it was something else. It was a New uh, York. That's for sure. Rock right? paper scissors yeah. stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. New York area. Because the Beastie Boys have a song where they mention it. Oh, neat. That's mm-hmm. cool. So what we have is a whole summer of all these different things happening. So we're. We need to kind of break this down as far as like how we're going to approach this. So we have the October Saturday's main event coming up down the road. So some of the stuff that happens this summer is better suited for that show because, you know, not everybody is on the big event roster. They're not all at that show. So some of the information is going to be skipped over into the next actual show, the, the Saturday night's main event that airs in October. And then we have the angle of all angles. The clothesline heard around the world, Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, Hulk Hogan, and what I'm going to say is his greatest feud. That all takes place this summer and comes to a head. And the main event of the big event is Paul Orndorff challenging the champ, Paul Hogan. So we've already recorded an entire episode based on just that one match, that angle, that clothesline. And it turned into a bit of a Paul Orndorff bio and some other stuff, but that's fine. So we're actually on this show not going to cover very much of the Hogan-Paul Orndorff stuff. When it comes to covering the big event, of course, we're going to cover that fully because that's the main event of the show and we'll love it. But 
we're going to be looking for people to go head over to our channel on Patreon, where we can upload the Paul Orndorff episode. We need to actually tweak it a bit and add some stuff to it, because in, since we first recorded it, I've found some more stuff that was maybe missing, put it together a little bit better. We're actually stealing some of the stuff that we recorded for that episode and putting it into this episode. We're, we're mixing and matching. That's right. That's how we started. With um, We were just getting our feet wet in the early days talked about the clothesline heard around the world and these memories they're good ones <laughs> <laughs> you're never gonna forget it yeah it, it's like our pilot episode where there's so much stuff going on that i can't possibly cover it all but we're gonna do our best to kind of pick and choose get to see some of the wrestlers that are on that card we're gonna see some wrestlers that we haven't really talked about yet of course some familiar ones some of the fallout from saturday night's main event and that's what's gonna happen so this show takes place at cne stadium and it's listed with a 64,000 sellout crowd with 61,470 paid. I've seen other places like Wikipedia claims it was 74,000. But I mean, I've seen newspaper clippings and stuff that, that give the 65,000 number. So I'm going to go with the newspaper over Wikipedia since Wikipedia seems to, as great a resource as it is, it also often brings out wrong information. So we, we won't go by that. It's a huge number. Yep. Okay. So what we have is a whole bunch of stuff that took place on primetime wrestling and some of the other shows. We've got some of our Boston and Mount Madison Square Garden cards. And I'm going to tell you right now, the good thing about this week's episode is we got a whole lot of killer cow. Yes, we do. We have a bit of a fake out, but, you know, I'll still take the killer cow. <laughs> you know, I'll take cow smiling in the background over yeah. not being there at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's before long, he's scowling. He's like, <laughs> who is this joker? Taking, you know. Oh, well, I guess cow was a giver. But, That's you know, right. we'll explain when we get there. That's right. We're going to jump right into it because there's just so much information that uh, we want to try and get through this in a reasonable amount of time. Because the next week, or part two of this, when we actually cover the show, it's it's a pretty big card. It's I think it's got 10 matches or 11 matches on it. So Yeah, but the, we're, that's, we're not at the big event yet. No, no, Orndorff no. hasn't even turned. Like, we're, we're going to talk about some matches before well, Orndorff, Orndorff's still, still a baby face. face. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So let's let's just, we're not, we're not in Toronto yet. We're, we're making our way to Toronto. Yes. Before we even get to Saturday night's main events. So uh, <laughs> bear with us, but it's, it'll be worth it because this is like some of the best. Like that, I think that's pretty a bold statement that it's Hogan's greatest feud. But, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, there's a really good argument to be made that Ho Savage and Hogan was like a longevity. They, they have that over Orndorff Hogan. But I grant you that you know it could well be it yeah so i mean maybe i see them as equal just because they were able to get so many matches yeah and savage hogan also got a much bigger stage to work with they had like wrestlemania match and they had you know <laughs> they had other things they were they were they were together in SummerSlam. they were against each other in SummerSlam. they were all this stuff yeah and and i will also say this my three greatest savage memories hogan's not in any one of them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll just just quickly jake versus savage steamboat versus is savage and then warrior versus savage like oh, okay all, yeah. i mean like not necessarily wrestling that i remember from each of those matches right right but, it's more it's the whole package yeah it's or savage winning because yeah, <laughs> he doesn't win i, I don't think well he probably and we'll get we're going to uh, i can't wait till we get to probably my favorite match of all time which is jake the snake versus savage and it's it's coming up soon because savage has the belt so it's gonna that's be, right yeah just a couple more sirens in yeah. event a little bit down the road my first note i have real quick here <laughs> And it is back in Toronto, just to contradict ah. ourselves. <laughs> On May 4th of 1986, Harley Race makes his first appearance in six years in the WWF ring. At gunpoint. That's he right. holds up the crowd. <laughs> Give 
over your wallet. He's drunk. <laughs> he robs the whole stadium. That's right. I'm here to take over. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the next day, uh, May 5th, we see a, because Jeff had referenced this, so I just, I, I saw it and I was like, oh, I got to bring this up. So we see the first occurrence of SD Jones and Paul Roma forming their hot tag team. <laughs> In the WWF? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's even a match on one of the cards we were looking at where I see their finisher is kind of neat. They got a finisher. They got a tag team finisher. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah, they, they got the guy down and out, and basically SD Jones stands over top of the fallen victim, and Paul Roma bounces off the ropes, and he jumps in the air, and SD Jones kind of catches him, but almost like with a, but it just kind of spins him a bit. So he's supposed to body splash the guy, but it looks like a rough landing. Like Roma's like thigh lands on the guy's face. Like, you know, it's, I don't think it landed the way it was supposed to, but it it's kind of neat. Catches him in the body slam position. Yeah. I don't want to call it a press slam, but he kind of just redirects him. Sure. You know, Paul Roma right. jumps super high in the air and, and, and SG Joan kind of spins him so that he's supposed to splash the guy. Right. Well, it took, oh, it, apparently it hit big time in Australia. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the record's breaking huge in Belgium. <laughs> hmm. Well, that's cool. And so a couple jobbers, eh? Like you found that yeah, on the, on the right. WWE Network? Yeah, it was on one of those Boston cards that's on the WWE Network. Like, Do we they have a name? No, uh, I don't think so, no. What about their look? Didn't change their look, I guess. No, no. They look just like they always do. On May 6th, I'm just going to note something, and we're going to come back to it because there's, there's more to the story. But we get this occurrence of Dan Spivey subbed for George Steele in a match against Adonis in Flint, Michigan. And there's a whole bunch of fallout from this match. But since there's something coming up with Spivey and Adonis right away, we'll just leave it to then. So we'll come back. We're going to put a little pause on that, a little check mark, and we'll come back to it. The first match we want to cover, which is from a primetime episode that aired on May 12th, and we have Tony Atlas taking on Hercules Hernandez. Yeah, well, I uh, heard Tony Atlas shoot about this and how uh, Vince told him that he was supposed to put Hercules over. Mm. Yeah, Tony says that he said at first he would do it, but then he realized they had TV cameras and he said, no, I don't want to do it. Oh, wow. Because of the whole rule is like, don't get pinned on camera. Right. So Atlas apparently went to the parking lot and he got in his car until Vince came looking for Tony. Oh, jeez. Tony basically said, I'm not going to, you know, job right. on TV. And Vince said, oh, well, I know, no, I have an angle. We'll make a lot of money and like, you know, you'll get your revenge and all this stuff. Like, And then Tony said, oh, okay, well, if that's going to happen, then... Okay, then I'm in, and I'll do it. But apparently, Tony opened the door, and George the Animal Steel was listening, was eavesdropping. Mm. And Tony says he's a stooge, because this worked against Tony Atlas, apparently. If the other wrestlers knew that you could influence Vince McMahon, right. the, the deal was off. Yeah, okay, right, right. Because then everybody would try yeah, to influence Vince, McMahon. If Vince knew that you knew that he knew that you knew. Exactly. <laughs> then it wasn't going to work. So George Steele was going to go and tell all the boys, like, uh, hey, right. Tony worked McMahon. And then McMahon loses face. So when he saw that Steel was eavesdropping, he was like, oh, fuck. And then he knew the whole deal was off. <laughs> and uh, that's that was the shoot story. I hope I got that fairly correct. That, that you know, some of that kind of rings a bell, but I think I heard that information so long ago that it's like, I'm not sure. I don't know if it matches I think, up. I think the idea of what you're talking about, I just saw something today online, which just in terms of like when McMahon makes up his mind, it's usually bad to try and go against him on that because even if you get your way then he's going to 
get his way eventually kind of thing. And Undertaker says the only time he ever refused to do something was when he was working matches with Booker T. He, he, they wanted him to do the, the take a Rooney, you know? So like the spin a Rooney, they wanted Undertaker to do like a spin a, you know, spin a Rooney thing. And Taker was oh, like, God. I'm not doing this. Cause he said like, you know, I can't really, I'm not going to, it's not going to look good. I'm not going to be able to like pop up. And uh, he said that was the only time he really like, he, you know, he'd been around so long that he felt like he could get away with it. Cause it was just this minor thing. Like, I'm not going to do this. So he did the pose but he wouldn't do the spin. <laughs> Did it bite him in the ass? Did Vince well, no, because way? I think at that okay. point Undertaker oh, was said, so... That was the exception. Yeah, exactly. And he's this he's so far into his career and he's so high up the totem. But if uh, you know some Take other him. guy did it, yeah. he probably probably his career would probably go down the down the toilet. Right. <laughs> so this match isn't really all that great. Uh, so I didn't take a ton of notes because it's a really slow plotting match. It's interesting that we see that Gorilla's, you know, bringing up the Greek mythology of like these two men, like sort of like the Hercules, but just the look of Atlas and the name Atlas, you know, Hercules, Atlas. It's sort of, you know, like kind of a, it's a natural fit. Absolutely. Well, and for those of you who don't know, here's some education. Atlas carried the world on his shoulders. That's right. Most people know that. <laughs> but in case you, it's also the book with the maps and things. <laughs> so, so this is uh, in the studio before the match starts where I got Gorilla and Heenan. So <laughs> Gorilla makes the Greek mythology uh uh, line and then he, he comes in with a I don't like this kind of restaurants <laughs> <laughs> and then Heenan says he likes Hercules because he's managed by his good personal friend Freddie Blassie and then Monsoon says yeah the guy who steals everyone's money <laughs> y- yeah that's a <laughs> so we get into the match it's in progress so the wrestlers have been outside the ring they're coming back in whenever Hercules has the advantage this match just slows to a crawl he is like not in a hurry he doesn't have any pace he doesn't even in my mind look like he looks different because he's got that big shaggy hair um, he's not quite as cut and defined as he would be later in 86 and 87 um, and m- more importantly, just the mannerisms, like the way Hercules punches, the way he clotheslines people. Like I have very vivid memories of the way I, him doing that. And looking at this version of Hercules, it, the, it looks a little different. You know, he, he's not snapping his punches the same way. He doesn't deliver the clothesline the same way. So it's kind of weird when you see someone. It's literally a difference of months, but apparently a lot can change in a few months. Indeed. So uh, no, nobody looks good next to Tony Atlas. <laughs> I mean, all these tough guy muscle guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get yeah. in there. I mean, even Paul Orndorff looks small next to Tony. That's Atlas. right. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's he's amazing. Yeah. I, I think I got to say, like, I was thinking about it. Probably the best body in professional wrestling. I think. Yeah, he doesn't get brought up much. I mean, there's obviously you know there's the Kerry Von Erichs and the Ultimate Warrior and Rick Rude. I think the thing with Rude is he's not as thick as those other guys, and he doesn't have the legs. You know, he doesn't really work on his legs. He's got like great upper body and torso. Really the torso that's where that's where rude beats everybody is the torso because if you look at his just his arms rude's arms aren't that impressive compared to a lot of right. wrestlers but well and rude also is is much lankier i mean tony yes, and leaner, atlas yeah. you know as far as that triangle goes nobody's got an idiot yeah. or waist compared to his fucking and he's and it's not like he's got scrawny waist but like it's just yeah it's yeah He's just got all that, that those hulking shoulders and like so big in his triceps, you know. Right. Anyway, I think he's the most impressive looking guy in wrestling. So there's a pretty weird thing right off the bat of this match. So Hercules is getting, you know, forearm shots and punches and Tony's selling by kind of staggering around the ring and he works his way over to the corner and there's quite a bit of distance between the two wrestlers. And Tony does this thing where he kind of like sits himself up on the top rope. 
you know, kind of feet on the second rope, sit, sitting on the top rope. And I think, like, something's supposed to happen. Like, I think Hercules was supposed to charge in, but he never does. Atlas is, like, waiting and waiting, and Hercules is coming in slow. And eventually he just jumps off and delivers, like, this flying headbutt to Hercules for this big momentum shift. But you can kind of tell that it was, like... I don't think that's the way it's supposed to happen. You could you could see them like look. You could see Tony Atlas like just looking at him, like kind of almost like glaring at him, like you know, do the thing, and it's right. not happening. <laughs> Sounds like a botch. Yeah, I think it would have been. Eventually, Hercules actually gets Tony up in his, you know, the Hercules Hernandez backbreaker, which is sort of the Lex Luger, you know, torture rack move. But they're close to the rope, so. Tony's able to grab the top rope and it's kind of neat. It's actually a little bit of a struggle where like Hercules has still got him in the position and Tony's pulling on the rope, but it's not an immediate, like he doesn't escape immediate. And for some reason, the ref isn't breaking the hole. It's like the ref's kind of ignoring the fact that he's got the rope, but he does get out of it and he gets loose. Basically, Hercules tries a body slam and Tony flips over for a sunset flip and a quick three count. So there's not a lot of, like, the crowd's not really into the match because there's not a lot happening and they don't see this ending coming. It doesn't... There isn't like a big, they don't build it up and then take, take you, you know, up and down a ride. It's sort of just like, oh, wait a minute, it's your, your bus stop, you're here, <laughs> get off. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, Hernandez more is outsmarted. He's not overpowered. Right, exactly. So um, he gets to save face a little bit. A little bit, yeah, for sure. So they go back into the studio with Heenan complaining about the count. And actually, Gorilla agrees that the count was a bit ambiguous, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then this is where Gorilla gets out WWF Magazine, and he starts teasing Bobby that uh, Jimmy Hart has a featured article. And he's like, he's like, I thought you were the top manager in the Federation. Why is, why is Jimmy Hart getting his? And he's like, don't you try and start trouble between me and Jimmy. <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. Nice. Okay, so that's going to take us to May 19th episode of Primetime. And there's a match on there between Adrian Adonis and Dan Spivey. And it's not really the match that's that important, but it's the stuff that happens around this time. And uh, we've talked about it a little bit on another episode, but I think we have more more info to fill in. Well, Dan Spivey reports that Adrian Adonis had disgusting habits, like he would blow snot all over his own body before he wrestled you, you know. And oh, Tony weird. Atlas accused him of, like, smearing shit on the wall. Like, they, he just was a disgusting person, as people were, you know. Oh, wow. I haven't heard any of this stuff. Yeah. Really gross. Apparently, you know, he was a bully. Lanny Poffo was too polite to say it himself because he seems incredibly respectful, Lanny Poffo. Adrian Adonis was apparently a real bully. And uh, he would kick guys for real, r green guys, rookie guys. Right. So Dan Spivey said, well, okay, sticking with Lanny Poffel for a moment, I saw a shoot interview where he said, oh, you know, Adrian was on a lot of drugs and he was just wasn't really in control of his, uh, what he was doing. And, you know, very kind, too kind, really, it seems. Right. Dan Spivey said that Adrian wanted to fuck with him and tried to actually pull a shoot you know, weird naked choke on him in the ring. His move was the good night Irene, but a guy's very vulnerable to a rear naked choke. And if UFC taught us anything, it's that, you know, a little guy can render a big guy unconscious, no problem, if he can get yeah. in the right angle, cut off his blood, the oxygen to his brain, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. Adrian tried that in the ring. There are different tellings. Like one guy said that Danny said, don't try that shit again. And Adrian's like, I'll do whatever the fuck I want. So Danny popped him. Uh, Danny himself just said, like, he tried it once and I just smacked him and uh, bloodied him with a left, uh, three left hand punches. Yeah. And if people aren't familiar, Dan Spivey's a 
big fucking guy. Like, he's tall. In this era, he's a bit lanky, but, I mean, he becomes by, like, let's say, 90. He's rivaling, like, sort of Mark Callis Undertaker size, like, you know, Sid Vicious. Like, I mean, he doesn't have the definition in his muscles, but he's also a guy that's like, if you had to get in a fight with somebody, you would rather fight Sid Vicious than fight Dan Spivey. Like, Dan Spivey was uh, a real tough guy. Right. Well, apparently 200 stitches is what Adrian needed by the time they were done. Adrian also went after him in the locker room and gave, Dan said that other people were holding his arms, so Adrian got a couple shots in, but right. uh, Adrian had to be taken to the hospital. But apparently Randy Savage stepped in and took Spivey into his own personal dressing room, which is where he would often you know, keep Elizabeth isolated from the boys, which sounds bad, but the boys are pretty ill-behaved. That's right, yeah. Ill-mannered gentleman. <laughs> Dynamite would be putting X-lax in her drink or, or something. Some, exactly. <laughs> so Macho Man got Dan Spivey away from Adonis to keep the uh, peace. Lanny Poffa was saying that Macho Man was on probation when he entered the WWF because he was known as a hothead. And Vince warned right. him, any fighting backstage and you're gone. So Macho Man didn't really want anybody having brawls That's right, in the yeah. locker room. This beating apparently sidelined Adonis's run with Hogan and Bundy and Stud got those matches and thanked Spivey for kicking the shit out of, out of Adrian Adonis and people like Lanny Poffo who had been bullied and and also apparently Adrian would like swear at guys in the ring just you know call them belittling names and mm-hmm. you know really uh, make it a miserable experience yeah I, I know he recently I haven't watched this season at all yet but Dark Side of the Ring has an Adrian Adonis episode and I would suspect that you know some of this stuff's been talked about on there I know they've had Dan Spivey on as an interview person like for Dynamite's episode I believe because him and Dynamite were friends so I remember he was interviewed in that so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some footage on this TV show that just aired recently so we might have to update ourselves based on that but then again anytime you have these kind of stories and you're hearing one person's side of it it's not to say that what they say isn't valid but there's always a bit of well it's weird because the way some people tell it if you believe Jake the Snake uh, Adrian Adonis both his eyes exploded oh god <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like Adrian's on the next Saturday Night's main event, you know, or yeah, or the and, one after, and, and he's re- he's you know he's wrestling at the big event. <laughs> yeah, know, like he only misses a handful of shows that I can see on the uh, on the dates. And you know, when he the... came back, he didn't look to me like he'd taken two hundred stitches. You know, he looked no. like he still looked like Adrian Adonis. Another guy said he was never the same in the ring. I don't know about that either. So legend yeah, plays. We'll, we'll have to, exactly. We'll, we'll watch the match if we JYD versus Adonis at big event. And we saw it before at Saturday Night's main event. So unless there's, I bet my my feeling is we're going to see the same, you know, a very similar match. <laughs> From my memories, Adonis goes on to sell. You know, nothing changes really. Like watching now this pre-Adonis, yeah, pre-Spivey at SmackDown, you know, <laughs> uh, and then the post-Spivey SmackDown. I never noticed a difference. As a matter of fact, Adrian's only just got on the scene. I mean, like pretty, you know, That's the right. gay Adrian only showed up. On the last Saturday Night's main event. Well, two two ago, because he had the Junkyard Dog and the Paul Orndorff main events. Oh, okay. Two. Yeah. Yeah, the pre-WrestleMania 2 and then the after-WrestleMania 2. Ah. And he's got his match at WrestleMania 2 with Elmer. <laughs> throw away. <laughs> yes, Adrian will throw him away. <laughs> okay. So if we get any more, we can get it, you know, from that stuff, we'll bring it back. But for now, we will move on. On the May 24th edition of Primetime Wrestling... Heenan gets onto the announce the commentary, so he's not commentating for the week, but he shows up in the booth, basically. He joins the commentators and lets everyone know that Andre the Giant has been suspended by Jack Tunney 
for failing to appear at a tag team match a couple of weeks ago. Bobby! <laughs> Bobby! <laughs> so it's great. During this time, Heenan's doing all the legwork, anything he's on to like call out Andre, get him suspended, and then we'll see going forward. He's, he's constantly like the thorn in Andre's side until he's not. <laughs> yeah. Until he's his biggest champion. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Prism TV. We're in Philadelphia. We're Spectrum Wrestling. It's May 31st. And we've got a really cool interview with Jake the Snake Roberts and our favorite man, Cal Rudman. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, Cal loves his job. That's why he's such a pleasure to watch. And he sides with whoever he, he's interviewing. <laughs> it's really appealing. I just, so, this is another one. He's got a big smile. And he's got Jake. And Jake is a great interview promo guy. You know, his voice is deep and he's always calm. He doesn't shout and shake and quiver like, you know, the earthquake. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it worked for earthquake. You know, yeah, his, you yeah know, different people. Yeah. Shouty, sweaty, shouty, sweaty man. As you know, but also a uh, heart of gold, apparently. John Tanta, yeah, yeah, earthquake, the Canadian earthquake started I, that way, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Jake had a calm and collected way of, of conducting his interviews and speaking, and he was well-spoken, didn't stammer, wasn't nervous, just was great. So Cal, is, uh, as usual, looking up at him with adoring eyes. And, <laughs> but it's great because he keeps it very contemporary. Cal's like, hey, I saw the Big Apple. The Big Apple. Ricky Steamboat really worked you over. Oh, boy. And, he, and then, but he moves on. He's in like, but what about that DDT on the concrete? Why'd you do that? Like, he's just... <laughs> so disappointed but jake's great he's like why money to do and then he just goes on on a very rational logical explanation you see you're not thinking ricky steamboat's not thinking he's he's got revenge in his heart he's got his and you know so it's it's very sensible thing you know like to to taunt somebody the whole reason of taunting right so so it's awesome He's complimentary as well. Uh, Jake is like, he's one of the best yeah. athletes in the world. So, And we don't really give, uh, Ricky Steamboat's like approaching Tony Atlas with his, <laughs> his oh, speak. Especially, especially the summer of 86. <laughs> yeah, you just don't really think about that much. Uh, and then Jake does a whole bunch of math about, you know, every second you got to think about that, Ricky Steamboat. And then he tells us how many <laughs> seconds there are in a minute and then how many seconds there are in an hour and then how many seconds in a day. And... Cal's head's twirling like, ooh, that's great arithmetic. And, and you know, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's a good interview. But Cal has to point out, but he really whooped your butt in New York. And he's like, well, I don't know. He's like, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, that's one take. But another take is, and you know, and then he goes back to the Saturday Night's Main Alive, and, uh, Saturday Night's Main Event. And if we had the buzzer, we could apply it because Jake slips. And he says, you saw Saturday Night Live. You saw what happened. I gave him the DDT <laughs> between right. the musical guests and Sketch 3. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so he uh, just, there's that little blooper. Yeah, I did catch that. Yeah. Nobody gets up from the DDT. And Cal asks him about the DDT and Jake turns into a little Jacopedia. And he's like, ha ha, wouldn't you like to know? Actually, it was a compound used by the U.S. military. And, <laughs> you know, so he explains the actual origins of it. And then it's actually, he's got a good thing. He says, and that chemical caused brain damage, which is what I do, which is what the DDT does. <laughs> and actually, I did uh, DDT a friend once and give him a little bit of, made him saw stars and made me think twice about, do not do this at home but i was a teenager we were at a dinner theater yeah fooling around but we were also at a dinner theater and just being idiots and he told me after and i was like wow i'll never do that again to anybody yeah yeah 
you could really, really hurt somebody. Yeah, you got to know how to flatten out and protect yourself. Well, I didn't protect my buddy, unfortunately, so <laughs> I, I thought I had. But fortunately, I mean, like, he, you know, I didn't knock him out. I just, like, he's like, dude, that, that you put my head onto the, the ground. Yeah. Cal asks him, what are you going to do with that snake? <laughs> and Jake explains his plan, which is, you know, um, Damien's going to crawl all over him. And Cal says, well, we'll see what's going to happen. Now that's going to happen. Almost like you're in for it, Jake. And, uh... <laughs> And it was awesome. Yeah, I was really happy when I came across that. I actually found that one a little while ago, so I had to tuck it away. I had to put it on like a sheet and be like, oh yeah, come back to this, come back to this. Well, there is a little bit of footage uh, later of the actual wrestling, but I don't think it's a, is it a Philly, the clip that I watched? That's, well, of course, because we wouldn't be getting Cal if it wasn't Philly, but I, it, in my mind, I couldn't find the match that goes with that interview. That's what I'm asking. We found different matches that are That's different what places, I yeah. but, but I couldn't, you know, we can't resist if we find Cal. Oh, yeah. We must. Of course. <laughs> yeah, Cal's Cal. gold. <laughs> so another uh, match that's from this Prism card features the Killer Bees versus the Heart Foundation, and we're going to see the Killer Bees at the big event, so it's a good time to uh, take a look at uh, their match here, and uh, we'll get into it. And there's going to be one really interesting thing, is once we hear the commentators start talking, our man Cal's on commentary! <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it's really neat. I think they note that it's just the last two matches of the card. Gorilla's there, but for some reason he leaves, and Cal has to step in. Mm-hmm. And boy, does he ever. <laughs> I've never spent so much time paying attention to what's being said as opposed to what's happening in the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, it it wasn't quite the same as his loving promos, but, you know, hey, we're, we're Cal Boosters now. Yeah, he's doing a different job. Okay, so this match is going to start, and we've got the Heart Foundation already in the ring. And then we get an entrance that I just was not expecting in this era. This music, uh, Jeff, did you recognize the music? Nope, I don't know that tune. I'm sure if we did that Shazam thing, we could probably figure it out. It definitely was some sort of a, you know, popular song. It wasn't, you know, elevator music by any means. But, man, you would think that the beat, the beat, the killer bees were the Beatles. <laughs> like, the crowd is going crazy. And it's just, you know, the way they set up that aisle, it's so crowded and crushed. It just makes them seem like such big stars when they're coming to the ring. I don't think I can ever think of a time where the killer bees were presented in such a, a light. Yeah, they look like the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, and Cal Rudman loves their jackets. He's like, oh, look at those beautiful jackets. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty un- unusual to see the bees so hot, you would think that they're going to get the belts. That's right. So we've got a uh, really famous ref, Joey Morella, which of course is Gorilla, Mer- Gorilla Monsoon's son. He's in the ring, and Cal mentions that uh, he didn't think Joey was going to work tonight because he's apparently got a broken arm. <laughs> I had no idea he was Gorilla Monsoon's son. Yeah, yeah, he's Gorilla, yeah, because Gino Morella is Gorilla Monsoon and Joey Morella. That's why Jesse's always taking cracks at uh, Joey Morella. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a way to kind of tease, you know, Gorilla. All these years later. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, so the match starts out, and right away within the first, like, 30 seconds, Bret Hart's doing this awesome job where he's complaining about these phantom hair pulls that aren't happening. Like, there's no hair pulling, but he's complaining about it. And then immediately following that, Bret Hart has a headlock on Jim Brunzel. So when Brunzel pushes him off to, like, sling him off the ropes, Bret Hart then holds on to the hair <laughs> and yeah. reestablishes the headlock. And Bret Hart has probably the greasiest-looking hair in yeah. wrestling history. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So he does this a couple times in a row. It's pretty funny. So it's, the crowd's getting really upset at Bret for these, like, cheating tactics. And the third time he go, he you know, the, the setup happens where he's got the headlock and Brunzel's pushing him into the ropes to push him off. This time it's in the corner by B. Brian Blair. So there's this blind tag. And it's a, it's a weird spot. I don't think I've ever seen this before. So Brunzel pushes him off, does a leapfrog, 
Bret Hart ducks underneath the leapfrog, and then Blair's waiting on the other side for, aha, a small package. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was, I hadn't seen that either. Bizarre. You would think there's going to be a puncher kick yeah, instead exactly. of uh, a drop you kick know. or something, you exactly. know, like power slam, <laughs> small package, really? <laughs> so, of course, that didn't get a pin, but, you know, it's it's pretty funny. Like, it was it was good timing. Like, it looked good. Like, it, it's not like it was this really awkward, botchy spot, but I just remember thinking, like, how did we get from A to B? Like, you know, what, what was the decision making here? So we get Jim the Anvil Nightheart in quite soon after that. Two Jims. That's right. It's two tough. Gyms. There's two Jims. So we're yeah. going to say the Anvil a lot. That'll yeah. just keep it, or Nightheart. Uh, so the Anvil's dropping the shoulder straps early in the match. <laughs> he always likes to show off that big chest and his rotund physique. And he shows off his power by just launching Brian Blair into the ropes. Like he basically throws him about 10 feet. But Blair uses that momentum to bounce off the ropes and then forearm smash Jim Neidhart. And he takes an incredible bump. He goes backwards and basically upside down and his feet are in the ropes, kind of a la Steamboat against Savage you know, right. later yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. It's like his head is the center of a clock and it's like <laughs> 10 after 2. His feet. <laughs> so I, was, I thought that was pretty awesome by, uh, by the anvil. That was really great. So what we end up with for the first half, it's a long match. It's about, you know, the whole file is about 22 minutes. I think you get about 17 minutes of a match or 18 minutes of a match. And the first half, the bees maintain the advantage. And what I see is the high flyers because they go to work on the leg and it's quick tags. Yeah. You know, I actually watching it, I agree for this context, but my memories of the actual high flyer matches that we reviewed recently, yeah. that they were tagging at the rate of two or three right, times. Yeah. This. Yeah. So this is like the WWF version of it. Sure. And yet, I mean, I'm not trying to like take the, the fun out of what you said. Yeah, yeah. But those high flyers, like, don't you remember like boom, 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 boom. Gagne came off the second rope like six times in like a minute. <laughs> yeah. And it was like almost comical, but I loved it. Yeah, and, and so, I was more thinking about just like the idea that they're going to just keep doing step over toe holds and then tag and then the other guy's going to come over and do a step over toe hold yeah. and like that kind of thing. So it's pretty good. So you're, you're correct. But the actual high flyer is like, it was just insane. Like, yeah. And, and now I see why like they were fun to watch because there was never boring. The That's high right. flyers were always moving. I guess they were like, maybe they said no wrestles <laughs> <laughs> and, and until like at least 12 minutes in the match. That's when, right. Yeah. You know, when you're getting beaten up. The other yeah. Guy do so it. the early parts of the match is like, they just never do an, what yeah. they're like. Like always going, and and it was good. Um, but I, I'm not trying to contradict you. By oh any yeah, means. yeah, no, I I do agree with you. Yeah, they weren't they weren't hitting the tags as quick, but you know they were they were kind of doing that that style of wrestling for sure. And and it's so much fun. I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. I I mean, it was this. It's so great to see Jim Brunzel looking like a megastar in the WWF. Like yeah, this is <laughs> they look great. really good. And they work like I said. It's a long stretch of the bees being advantage. So they they set up all these great spots with Anvil being cut off, and he can't get he can't get to his corner. So there's lots of stuff where like they're holding his leg and he's hopping around on one foot and he's trying to swing at them and he can't you know he can't connect and they're kicking his leg out and it's just like you know they're kind of thwarting every attempt so finally Anvil does scoot over and make a tag and Bret Hart comes charging in and immediately gets like a double leg takedown like against himself like he falls down and now his leg's being worked on so like the bees are just like they've got them like wrapped up like we're just gonna like work on taking those wheels out and the Hart Foundation can't do anything so it's it's pretty it's pretty good very good technical wrestling scientific Vern would love it yeah, that's right. So the uh, the main commentator... Uh, <laughs> Jim Brunzel signing a check backstage. Saying, Dear Vern. <laughs> Dear Vern. <laughs> so Dick Graham, the uh, the head announcer, with Cal doing the color commentary, he gets really gushy at this point. He's just complimenting Cal up and down for about a minute, like about how great his interviews are and how great he is at them. And it's, you know, it's pretty fun. You might get to it in a bit, but these guys seem to think that the Hart Foundation are the... 
Tougher guys. Yeah, yeah. And Cal shows a little, at times, shows his tendency to favor the heels. <laughs> yeah. Because at one point, they're just like, yes, well, the bees, I mean, but if you were in a street fight, let me tell you, you want uh, Nightheart and Heart on your side. Oh, yeah, right. oh, And they're like, they're like, yep, yep, oh, for sure, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so at one point when they're doing Not a lot the of- the greatest like, endorsement of the faces. Exactly. So at one point, you know, they're doing a lot of like knee drops and elbow drops or whatever. They're, they're doing damage to, uh, I think it's Brett's leg. And Dick Graham's like, ooh, the pain. And then he kind of pauses and goes- how would I know? <laughs> that was kind of a fu- funny self-deprecation moment of right. like, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so again, just it's that's just keeps happening. And then finally, Jim Brunzel puts a figure four on Brett. And Jim comes in, and this is a weird situation where he breaks up the figure four, convinces the ref that he should go and be distracted by Bieber and Blair, and then he, he there's no tag, so now Anvil's in choking, and we just have that immediate switch where there's no big like, oh, I missed a move off the top rope, or oh, I got like some big, you know, powerful move. It's just like literally just the breaking up of the figure four is that that key pivotal moment that switches this match from like all bees, and now the Heart Foundation, you know, it's going to be their turn to pull all their dirty tactics and pound down the bees and, and and hammer them and stuff like that. So they're working a lot of chokes and stuff, and Cal's getting upset at some of the cheating that's happening. They eventually end up in what Demolition would call the Demolisher, so that's Anvil putting putting a guy over his knee and Bret Hart coming off with the elbow. Blair has to come in and break that pin up. So it's pretty kind of good. They're kind of showing that move to be like, I think, like a, you know, a pretty powerful move. Here in the, it's the first time in the file that I think I could actually properly see the Hart Foundation's uniforms like they have the little blue stripe because at a distance it almost looks white there's and some of the footages we watch the the color so kind of dulled out that you know you really don't know you're kind of like what color is it i don't even know at that point i noticed there's a sign in the crowd and it was behind some people so at first i thought it said hitman marry me but it actually said hitman mania okay cool (laughs) yeah so he's got one fan (laughs) so there's a point where cal says the fans are going nuts. They're on their feet. And like everybody you can see in the camera frame is not really cheering and nobody's standing up. So I'm kind of like, what section is Cal looking at? Oops. I'm not really seeing it. Jim Brunzel's trying to make a tag and Brett breaks it up and there's this great Cal like, oh no, he's getting all upset that he wasn't able to make the, the tag attempt. And Blair distracts the ref while the hearts just do this double team whip. So if you've ever seen this, it's pretty cool. They'll get a guy in the corner and Bret Hart will like, Jim will grab Bret like he's going to whip him in for some kind of attack. But Bret will reverse it because you got to send the bigger man in. <laughs> so he does like that football, t- you know, style tackle. He'll dive in at the guy's stomach, cut him in half. Yeah. So that's yeah, like a pretty great. cool move. I hadn't seen that in the other Hart matches we've watched, but that yeah. was something they did a lot of. The Hart Foundation had awesome tag team offense. Yeah, that's right. Great combination moves. So at this point, uh, Jim Anvil's got the uh, bear hug on Brunzel, and Brunzel punches out, but he can't get out of the ring. You know, he's, he's able to get loose of the hold, but he can't get out of the ring. So Bret Hart gets him, comes back in, is giving him punishment, and here's where we get the reversal. We need we need to stern him for, first bash into a corner, and <laughs> Bret Hart's going to take it. So he does that, and the bees get the tag, but it's behind the breast back, so Blair is forced out. Oh, no. So the crowd's actually really building up a lot of heat here. Like, there's several moments that lead to this and after this. So the crowd's actually getting quite animated like and quite upset about like it's almost like there's a term for this whole thing this whole <laughs> yeah, idea. That's, that's right <laughs> Brunzel uh, you know he again couldn't get out there but he gets this push off behind the ref's back so the ref's still you know yapping at Blair and Brunzel pushes hard off the ropes and he unleashes that AWA's finest drop kick <laughs> well according to Jesse the body the world's finest the world's finest <laughs> drop kick <laughs> yeah so at that point both men are down and Brunzel's crawling for the tag, but he's going the wrong way. And the crowd's just like, no, no, 
<laughs> they get so excited and Brett's cult crawling to his corner, but he's going the right way. And it's neat because Anvil does get the tag and comes in, but Brunzel like redirects, like he starts crawling the right way and he just times it perfectly where like Anvil's grabbing his foot, but it's too late. And you get the hot tag. <laughs> the hot tag, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> now, B. Brian Blair comes in and I would say he's anything but a house on fire. Like he's actually quite slow in his movements. He doesn't do a lot for the first like 10 seconds he's in, which kind of takes away from the whole emotional moment here. But he does pick up some steam. So he's punching them. Of course, the good guys got to whip the bad guys into each other in a tag match. That's like, you know, that's almost always going to happen. And uh, he gives Anvil this like clothesline. He whips him off the ropes and what I always call the B action. So he does the silly, like winds up his arms before he runs the guy in clotheslines. I'm like, that somehow adds... (laughs) What did you call those, like, somersault clotheslines? Like- yeah, it only, it's only going to get worse. Like, I mean, the people's elbow was, I was, you know, I would look at that yeah, and I'd be yeah, like, yeah. oh, God, why what a bunch of silly pageantry before <laughs> just an elbow drop. Yeah, That's right. You know? <laughs> but he gives uh, Bret Hart, and so, like, both bad guys are still in there. He gives Bret Hart a atomic drop, which nails him into Anvil. So, they, you know, they're really getting some good stuff here. Now he looks like he's fired up. He puts him in a sleeper the anvil and Bret Hart tries to come back in like to break it up but Brunzel beats him to the punch and he knocks Bret out but of course now he's got to be forced out by the ref so that leaves Bret Hart to go up to the second rope and come off with a sneaky from behind elbow smash to Blair and then he rolls anvil out of the ring and he pins him and the referee comes around and one two three the Hart Foundation with the win Oh, wow. From an elbow smash yeah. from behind. So Blair's protesting, like, you know, quite you know, right away uh, in Brunzel, and the referee figures it out. He's like, oh, wait a minute. No tag. Bret Hart wasn't a legal man. So he restarts the match. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty. I'd I didn't fallen see it coming. I, only, I, I fell asleep. I was only watching. It was late at night. So yeah. I saw half this. Right, right. So the match actually does continue. So Blair does a, a go behind and tries like a rolling cradle. And Brett ducks. This is like a Bulldog's Heart Foundation spot. So Blair takes this big spill to the outside. He dies basically between the middle rope and the top rope. Hits the outside. Bret Hart goes out there, beats him up, comes back in. Blair tries to get in the ring. Bret Hart beats him up some more. So now he's kind of like laying outside the ring. Brunzel sneaks down there. So now the two of them are having a little conference. And this is where we see the first time we're seeing it on our show, the masks. Ah. So they put on the bee masks. So now Brunzel comes up to the apron all looking all groggy. (laughs) And he comes in the ring pretending to be Blair, but immediately starts winning the punching war (laughs) because he's the quote unquote fresh man. Cheating. Yeah, they love the cheating and the the crowd always loved it. So yeah, he he nails him with a big drop kick and then he goes for the pin, but Anvil breaks that up and he goes back to a sleeper. After this big drop kick, Anvil comes in to break up the count, but he misses and he hits Bret Hart. It's really funny. Like he does this big elbow smash on Bret Hart. Anvil smash. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love it. So this is where we get the sleeper back on Bret. And but- who's, who's in the ring? He's wearing a mask. Jim Brunzel's pretending to be Brie Brown Blair wearing a mask. <laughs> right. So Brunzel and he's fresh, but yeah, like he, sort of. <laughs> we, we pulled a we pulled a switcheroo. That's right. Like the fabulous ones would do that without the mask. Exactly. Yeah. So after he gets the sleeper on, Anvil does break it up again. This time, though, he knocks both bees down. So, like, you know, they try to, the second bee tries to come in to, like, stop Anvil. So he knocks him down too. So Anvil's cleared house. But now that means the ref has to make Anvil leave the ring. <laughs> So, as Bret Hart and Jim Brunzel are getting up, now we have Brie Byrne Blair, the actual legal man, sneaking back in with his mask on and doing a sunset flip. And when the ref turns around, it's the one, two, three. Yeah, I wonder why this momentum didn't uh, take them to uh, a title run. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they had some title shots, uh, but they yeah. never quite got in the position to be the top team. Mm. I, I do think if we actually look at their win-loss record, they're actually quite successful on house shows. Like, yeah. You know, mm. they win a lot of matches, but when it came down to the time to actually put a belt on them, it just never happened. Yeah. I don't have a lot of memories of the big cards. Of, yeah. of, you know, like this sounds amazing to see Jim Brunzel, you know, Flying high, <laughs> but I don't have big, big memories of them at the car. You know, like uh, my, yeah, you know, we, we we would only get to see so much, I guess. And I guess I was always left thinking uh, these guys only had mid-level success. Right, yeah, yeah, because they, you know, they had appearances on Saturday Night's main event, but the few times they had televised title shot would never went their way. And, they, you know, and they sort of did, I think the, the shtick of the, the masks kind of overtook the whole team. The good guys that cheat, <laughs> you know, right. like, and that, and that it was acceptable. So, uh, were they maybe they were daytime title shots? Because I don't have a lot of memories of the, be, uh, the of like thinking, oh, we almost got it, we almost, yeah, had them. I, you know, I I don't want to okay. stick my foot in my mouth too much because I haven't gone and reviewed all the different matches. I'm quite certain during the Heart Foundation title run that there was a Saturday Night event title defense against the Bees. Well, I, I hope so. There's certainly going to be a bunch of house show title matches, like you know, and stuff like that. Right. So we'll get we'll see some either yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's there's going to be more stuff with the bees, and they like I said, if you want to go find matches of the bees winning, you're not gonna have a hard time finding them. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is my Saturday night's main event memories with the bees are not particularly favorable to the bees. Yeah, they don't have the kind of run that anybody else has really. But They're, still, I can't get over how the Bulldogs came in Superman one week. The British Bulldogs are Superman. The next week, they're Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> That's kind of what happened. Yeah. I'm not sure. Again, we know there was an injury, but like if I'm booking that match, like, like let the Bulldogs win the first fall, like, but barely, right? Like, like let them, like, let them be dominant, start losing. Then David Wade pulls out the win after he's already had a lot of good offense at the beginning of the match. Yeah. Then you squash him in the second fall when he's tired. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Just, yeah. You hear us, time machine, go back and fix it. That's right. (laughs) So Neidhart goes after the ring announcer and he confronts Cal at the desk. Imagine this, this, the British Bulldogs versus the Killer Bees in the Bee Fest. (laughs) All the Bees. The boys. (laughs) Well, as we're going to see, there's some interesting tag matches that are coming up this summer. Not not that particular matchup, but we do see some heel versus heel and babyface versus babyface matches. And we're going to touch on some of them. So it's so neat. They're so rare. Uh, especially for this time. We're moving into June, and we it's noted that the WWF purchases the rights to the machine gimmick, you know, from New Japan uh, Wrestling and the outfits and the name of the wrestlers. So they're bringing in these, they've got, they've got plans. Wow, I would have but, thought that Vince would just be like, you can't make me pay for using <laughs> masked yeah, wrestlers. Yeah, you know, I'm always kind of in and out of like when he's working with New Japan when he's not, what other promotions he's working with, but there's times where there's agreements and stuff, you know, and he's still got, this is an era where there's still lots of wrestlers from WWF going over and doing tours in Japan that aren't WWF shows. Is that, that like, Inoki's one, New Japan? I or? believe so. Second half, we'll, we'll go check that out. Because, yeah. you know, we always... I mean, maybe he worked both. Yeah. But, or maybe he was an owner in one. I definitely think he was basically an owner in one of the of, of right. you know so of then one he of the was two. not too likely to be <laughs> bouncing back exactly. and forth. Exactly. No, no, not at all. Another note here in June is that the booker George Scott. Do you remember that name? George C. Scott. Yeah, sure. No, no. <laughs> what? The Exorcist Three. <laughs> and no, the, uh, Firestarter. The guy that booked WrestleMania, he's demoted from his position at this point, and he's always tied to Ricky Steamboat. Whenever you look at Ricky Steamboat's career and his greatest success, George Scott's the booker. Oh. Yeah. 
They kind of okay. go hand in hand. Like the Flair, Steamboat 89 stuff, the lead up to WrestleMania 3. He's not the booker anymore at WrestleMania 3, but he did a lot to get Ricky Steamboat going in the in the WWF. Like Is he the guy who came up with the strategy? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hang you. We're going to DDT you on the concrete. <laughs> we're going to throw an alarm bell across your throat. <laughs> All in one night. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go to the end of June. There's a primetime episode where something pretty cool airs. Now, Jeff and I recorded this segment during that Paul Orndorff recording. So there's the $15,000 Body Slam Challenge with J- Big John Studd. And so there's a match against a couple of guys, and we've, we've already recorded it, so we're going to throw it to that right now and let that kind of, you know, let that segment speak for itself. Something that was connected to the Hogan... Orndorff the turn of course at the end of the match the backup show up right we, we see Danny Spivey and Mike Rotundo and we we see King Tonga and Sifi off here whatever that his name is I'm blowing it um there was something going on in that time when that happened which is a little mini feud between John Studd and King Tonga which mm-hmm. a lot of people probably won't remember or didn't see aka Haku Haku yeah and it's a great uh it's a great little piece of business uh, aka uh, Meng and Meng yeah I don't like Meng I like Haku yeah and King, King Tonga is the best but they but Meng was one of his toughest personas like, yeah, where they you know. Oh yeah, yeah. By the time he got to that, because he was he was he was huge, and they yeah. started, and they started giving him sort of the the big Bubba Rogers treatment, where it's like you know they break the chair over his head and it yeah. doesn't you know it doesn't hurt him yeah. and all that stuff. So you know, hey, all for it. I'm 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 down for anything that makes him tough. I really I you know I came across this video several years ago and re- reminded myself of this thing I'd seen on syndicated TV. And so again, big John stud doing the body slam challenge. So they would often bring him out on syndicated TV and he would do a handicap match against a couple of, you know, enhancement talent and jobbers. And we also do handicap. Yeah, matches. for oh, sure. Five count. Remember the, the way so his, his, the way the match would work is they're just trying to body slam him. They don't have to pin him. They just got to body slam him, and he, he can end the match by pinning them, you know? So then the clip, that I found, and if you, you know, if you go on the internet and put in King Tonga body slams or slams, uh, you know, John Studd, you'll find it, no problem. Very short clip. It starts in the middle of the match. It, so there's a one of the, I don't even recognize the guy, Hunter's his last name, I think. Mm. The the jobber, he, he's firing off on Big John Studd, throwing I'm shots like, on yeah, the... Who's this guy punching? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, Studd, doesn't, uh, Studd doesn't wait too long to, like, no. take him out with a big shot and no. basically gives the guy a body slam and just lays down on him and pins him. And you notice in the background that Jim Powers, you know, from Young Stallions, uh, not so famous, you know, kind of thing. You know, this is early in his career, definitely when he's an enhancement talent. He's actually beaten up on the outside of the ring and he's trying to get back in. And so Stud decides that he's going to keep beating up this guy after he's pinned him and slams him. And then Jim Powers comes in and you know, beats him up and slams him. And then you hear the crowd pop. Because out comes King Tonga sliding into that ring, and it's great. Stud throws this big, you know, shot at him, and he ducks it perfectly, and he throws a couple of real big chops, and then pop, he just snaps up Stud into this body slam, and he actually kind of walks around the ring with him for a little bit, like that's how strong he is, you know. And he slams him, and Stud and, and Heenan they they hit the bricks, and there's a great uh, camera work of like them going down the aisle, looking back over their shoulders at the ring, you know, kind of the you know all shocked, and you know how did this happen, and. And the funniest thing of all is, is actually King Tonga's celebration. You know, he's at first he jumps up on the rope and everything, but he's kind of doing this weird, like, dance hip thing. And it's just like, I always say when you, you hear the stories of him, like, reportedly biting somebody's face off in a bar fight or something. And then you then you watch that. You kind of, you know, how do you put those two things together? But, like, I just loved, I loved that clip. 
And, you know, I, I kind of dug around to see, like, okay, what else? What did they do? You know, like, because this is getting near the end of John Studd's run, and he's not out, he's not around much longer. He, he, he definitely has more tag matches with, with Bundy. He's definitely part of stuff coming up in August, I, I believe, into September. But this Tonga storyline doesn't really go very far, so they have another televised match. Very short, double count-out. And I looked, they had a couple of house show matches, and in most cases, there's no result. It just says that they fought each other. It doesn't actually say who won. And I did come across one where uh, King Tonga won by disqualification in a house show match against him. And then the last thing I could find was a televised tag team match of Stud and Bundy versus King Tonga and the Siki Offy character. And I did find that video a couple of years ago, and it was, it was pretty disappointing. It didn't have the same kind of pop. You know, the crowd's really with Tonga because they want him to slam Stud again, but he doesn't get that opportunity. And in the end, he actually, Tonga takes the, he, like, Haku takes the pinfall. It's like, why can't the other guy take the pinfall? Why are we, you know, why are we pinning King Tonga here? And that's kind of the end of it. But it was just this nice little short moment in history before, sort of like, before they switched him over to Haku, before he started being the Islanders. And he goes on to do all the stuff he's done. But he's definitely, yeah, he always was one of my favorite, even even though he never had a huge amount of in-ring success. He's usually losing his matches. But he's definitely one of those guys, again, like you you just know when you're watching him. It's like, yeah, he could kick the crap out of all those guys if he wanted to. Oh, yeah. Another match on this Boston June 27th card is super important to the big event and everything we've been seeing in wrestling in the spring for the WWF, and that's Jake the Snake Roberts versus Ricky Steamboat. So just a note, there's you know they, these guys are going to be fighting all summer long. We did find a few matches. Um, we don't want to cover them too intensely because we really want to save the juice, the squeeze for uh, the big event itself, you know, like the, the main match. But, you know, it's important to kind of figure out the story there we're telling. There's a bit of an ebb and flow. It's not like it's not like they're repeating the same angle in every city they go to. You know, like it's not like they're DDT steamboat on the concrete in every town. No. Uh, you know, there's there's different things happening. So we'll just fly through this and kind of figure out the ending because the ending's pretty important. So you got Grella and Mean Gene on the call, and that's uh, something that was pretty common back in the day, but it's always kind of weird to hear Mean Gene. He's such a great interviewer. He's not the best color man he often tries no. to take over from Grella. <laughs> he, he kind of starts doing the play-by-play aha uh-huh. the clip starts i think they've gone to commercial and come back the camera's focused on damien he's he's unleashed he's in he's already snaking around in the ring the snake is loose the match hasn't even started and damien's already on the prowl oh exactly jake is announced and ricky comes out with a bit of a different look you know he's got this white gi i, th- I can't remember the kind of logo he's got on the back it's a bit baggier maybe than his other outfits and his hair is cut quite short like it is at the big event. He's got this weird music that I think they're pumping in over top of the classic Ricky Steamboat music. So that was that's disappointing to hear. It's not the, it's not the worst music or anything, but just, again, that natural reaction of, like, what are we expecting to hear? So, yeah, the white gi, the, like, red headband, red tights, all that kind of stuff. So, basically, as soon as Steamboat gets in the ring, Jake hits the bricks because there's, there's so much heat between them. So they do a lot of stuff in this match of Jake kind of, like, not wanting to engage trying to like stifle Ricky Steamboat you know it's gonna be on my terms you know not, not, not your terms I'm gonna we're gonna wrestle when I want to wrestle kind of thing Ricky def- you know has had enough once he takes his jacket off and he just looks jacked like he looks so big like I remember him looking at the big event like he's like 15% more muscular than he was you know at the Saturday event or something wow I can't just be the haircut <laughs> it's got to be the whole package 
So Ricky goes outside. It was a great brawl on the outside to start the match. But really quickly, they're, once they're back inside the ring, Jake goes for like the DDT super early, but uh, Ricky Steamboat counters it and gets out of it. So there's, you know, it's teasing it, right? It's like these, right. Jake's got this dynamite. He's got this like killer yep. blow that like if he ever hits it, it's over. Yeah, it's great suspense. There's a bunch of stuff that happens in this match where the ref is incredibly physical, mostly with Ricky Steamboat. He's constantly like grabbing his arm and like pushing him and like wrestling with him almost. And Grella and Gene both start getting pretty upset at the ref. <laughs> and they're even to the point where they're talking about Jack Tunney is going to have to, you know, step in on this ref. And it's it's pretty neat. And both guys sell so much because whoever has the advantage, the other guy looks like they're just getting murdered. <laughs> like, you know, every blow is just, you know, the last one kind of thing. So Jake's been selling really well for, uh, for Ricky early in the match. And this is where Grella mentions that they recently saw a Komodo dragon on national TV. So I did note that there's like a few times where Steamboat keeps coming out during Jake matches and sort of chasing him off. And I think this is this whole angle where we get we see that he's going to counter the snake with a dragon. The Komodo dragon isn't actually known for its fast pace attack. <laughs> exactly. It bites you and waits it's, for you to die from poison okay. and bacteria in its I guess, mouth. I guess it's good to just hold on to. <laughs> yeah. In the wild, they're awful. They bite somebody, the bite gets infected, and wow. they die. And then Jeez. the Komodo's like, yeah. So they just wait and follow around their, you know. Yeah. And one guy's like, ah, you bit me. Ah, well, whatever. Fuck off. They go and do about their business. Right. They're just so filthy, their mouths. There's a pretty funny spot in the match where Steamboat's had a comeback after taking some abuse, and he gets Jake tied up in the ropes, a la Andre the Giant, and he's, you know, putting the, the, the putting the fist to him and the, the chops, and the ref again just comes in and just totally manhandles Ricky, just, like, tackling him back, and Ricky Steamboat does this great thing where he, like, he pretends to not engage, and he turns away like he's going to walk away, and then he scoots through the ref's legs, <laughs> and he starts giving it to Jake again. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> So, of course, Grella Monsoon at some point has to get his, they're hanging off the rafters line. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but whenever someone hits somebody in the back of the head, there would always be the... The inside, right to the back of the head. External occipital protuberance area. That'll put the lights out for you. Whoa! He'd always mention some medical, you know, journal <laughs> notation. Latin stuff. Yeah, exactly. Jake, you know, once he's back in control, I noted Jake, I don't know what you think about this. I think Jake, Jake Roberts had one of the, like, one of the best scoop slams. He sort of just had a very specific way he did it. Just the sort of the cadence, the mannerism of it or whatever. Very fluid. Yeah, yeah. I really like the way he did it. And it, it's kind of like all the work's being done by one of the arms more than the other kind of thing. But it, just, it looks really neat. So eventually Jake decides he's going for the bag. So it's, you know, it's about three quarters way through the match or something like that. And he's had enough of Ricky Steamboat. So he goes to the bag and he's. He's trying to untie the bag, but he's struggling. He can't get the bag open. And the rest, they're counting him. And then you see, it's really great. You see Jake, like, rubbing his hand on his his, tr- his tights and on the on the uh, mat. His hands are too sweaty. He can't open the bag because his hands are too sweaty. And he eventually uh-huh. has to bail on the whole thing because Ricky's back up. So, like, you know. It. Yeah, it's a really neat little storyline of, like, why he couldn't get into the bag. So there's this incredible reversal where, like, Jake does this charging, like, knee lift in the corner. But Steamboat, like, sideswipes, so, like, steps out of the way. And then, like swoops his legs out as he's coming into the corner so Jake basically ends up upside down in the corner you know like his heels up on the top rope head on the ground like smashing it's it looks really awesome so there's this major brawl outside basically Steamboat's beating him pillar to post and he throws him back in the ring and he kind of steps back to get some momentum to run into the ring and the referee counts him out before he can get in. oh no <laughs> so Steamboat loses by count out in the, while he's in the middle of like kicking Jake's ass well at least they're not Finishing the storyline. No. So 
afterwards, Ricky's pretty upset with the ref, and he's arguing with him, and Jake comes in with a dirty knee to the back. Aha. That's right. Yeah, and he gets him. He, so he's attacking him, and he tries another DDT outside. He's got him back out on the floor, and he's going for the DDT on, this, on the concrete floor again. But this time, Steamboat reverses it, and he gives him some more chops. And at this point, Jake Roberts is split open. He's bleeding out of the forehead, and Steamboat's just giving it to him. And he's pushing the ref out of the way, and he just won't stop you know, punching and chopping and getting all his licks in. So it's pretty awesome. Jake ends up pretty much like running away, basically. But <laughs> but at the end, it's so cool. Like before the ref can really fully stop him, Steamboat's holding Jake up by his hair, sort of like the Terry Funk Andre thing, you know? Like, and he's just, Jake's out of it. And, and Steamboat's just chopping him on the bloody head. Like, so it's pretty like vicious. You don't, you don't get to see a lot of this vicious Ricky Steamboat. No, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And that like, must yes, have been like, what, you know, Cal was like, he worked you over. I saw him. He always did Yeah, you. But, or, or at least that match had a similar, maybe a similar version yeah. of this or something. Same yeah. booking. Yeah, something really similar. Like Jake actually opening up, bleeding. <laughs> for sure. For the baby face. So on the very next night, uh, June 28th, we're back in Philadelphia. We're Prism TV, Spectrum Wrestling, and we have a really, really cool match that I'm going to let Jeff tell you about. Indeed, it's a dream match, I gotta say, that I didn't know existed now that I have watched it. As I began to watch it, I was just like, I can't believe I'm watching this, you know? (laughs) Uh, Because Savage, as IC champ, is kind of a golden era of wrestling. You know, we were like, it set the stage for why he became my favorite wrestler of all the eras. And um, so, this, you know, anything from this brief. I mean, not that brief, a yeah. little over a year or whatever. It's pretty we, It's pretty well known that he drops the title at WrestleMania 3. We uh, j- we just had WrestleMania 2 chronologically, and he had it going in there. So this is a hidden gem. So I am glad to present to you Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff <laughs> challenging Randy Macho Man Savage for the Intercontinental Championship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Like, just right out of our what if segment. <laughs> like, what if Paul Orndorff was the title challenger at WrestleMania 2? <laughs> Here we are. Right. Well, it's a main event, but before we get to the match, of course, we do have some promos. And Woo-hoo! yeah, and we have a celebrity. Well, for Philadelphia, anyway, <laughs> not so much for us. And uh, a lady of national prominence, but. Um, sure, hadn't heard of her before, but. Yeah. Um, but she's happy to be here. So uh, we don't see her on camera yet. I guess I'm, uh, you know, giving away the the big shock surprise of someone you've never heard about, dear listener. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. Unless you're somehow a big fan of this. (laughs) Yeah. And you're also listening to the Miss America podcasts when you're not listening to (laughs) the legendary wrestling obsession. something that happened before 1986. (laughs) That's right. Um, We first discovered Cal Redman. 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 Jesus. I was suddenly, yeah. Correcting myself, and I was like, well, fucking it up while I was doing that. Cal Redman was interviewing Paul Orndorff before a match with Billy Jack Haynes when we first realized how funny he is and decided to include him at every opportunity. So it's Paul Orndorff again. Now, it's not quite uh, as killer as the first interview that I discovered Cal with, but anyway. um, I think part of that's because Orndorff's a heel in the first interview we saw, whereas this interview, he's still babyface. So I think the interaction between the two was perfectly set up because of the way he interacts with heels. Good point. Yeah, that is the big appeal of Rudman is that he's so sympathetic to the bad guys always on their side. And yet he doesn't. Without being Jesse Ventura. Yeah, yeah. without actually coming across as a heel in any way. 
Calazal smiles and he talks about Randy Savage and how in love he is with beautiful so-called, um, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so-called by him, <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth and Paul Orndorff is pretty quick to butt in and say, uh, "Hey, I was gonna say she's so-called, and you want to see a beautiful lady? I got a beautiful lady." And this is where he brings in Suzette Charles, right. who, who hails from Philadelphia and is a very lovely. Yeah, she, she sure looks like Miss America to me. <laughs> That's right. All smiles. Happy to be there. Yeah, so absolutely. Very appealing. We're going to get him, she says. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she's playing along good. <laughs> yeah. You know, Paul Orndorff is playing Macho Man's game. You can bring a beautiful lady to the ring. I can bring a beautiful lady to the ring. I got Miss America. Yeah. She ain't nothing next to this. That's what I'm all about or something exactly. like that. Exactly. Beautiful yeah. woman. That's what Paul Orndorff's all about. You know, when we leave the ring, we're going to have our chins high. Our heads will be tall, you know. And, and yeah, so yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Not, and uh, Oh, yeah. Well, Cal's just so excited about it all. <laughs> He's right. like, woohoo. He's like, I'm coming with you. <laughs> he runs out of the interview section. <laughs> There's one part where you get the essence, Paul Orndorff, except for that you know, as you pointed out, this is not heel Orndorf. This is face Orndorf. So it isn't quite the same as him siding with a bad guy. But what he does say when Orndorf starts to feel a little bit of, you know, he yeah, always Rudman is siding with his guests, whoever he, whoever's he's interviewing. He's like, you're the greatest. And so <laughs> in this case, Paul Orndorf is starting to get a little angry about Cal Rudman's quick to assure him that like, I'm with you. So he's very, very supportive, always cheerleading whoever he's interviewing. That's right. Reassuring. Absolutely. So after the faces are done, we get the heel interview and we get the big ripoff. Cal Rudman interviews some radio DJ guy that's a local celebrity. And I guess Cal Rudman's all about putting people over and helping them. And, you know, but as soon as he interviews the guy, he asks him one little question and he takes the mic from Cal. And basically, right. you know, Cal's got to stand in the background and seems happy enough. But later it looks like he's like, you know, I wish I was doing that. <laughs> but um, apparently this guy had been doing some radio interview call-in uh, segments with Macho Man. I guess that's why we've got him now. So he's in his tux and his red bow tie. He looks very much at home at the, you know, the WWF at the time. And I'm sure there's nothing wrong with him. I just, I don't like it. I don't want him. Get out of here, you weasel. Pencil neck geek. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, he, he's continuing his angle with Macho Man, and uh, he's saying, well, you know, on the, so recently uh, you, you talked about, he's a, he's a big guy. And Macho Man's like, he's a big guy, he's going to get smaller, and once he's next to the Macho Man, yeah. And, <laughs> and then Macho Man says, he's going to be Mr. Not-So-Wonderful. And the guy corrects him, well, on the radio, you called him Mr. So-So. Oh, yeah, Mr. So-So, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> So, once I'm over my disappointment for having Cal Redman supplanted by Pencil Neck Geek, we go to the match. <laughs> he's like this, he's this uh, poor, poor, poor man's younger Cal Redman. <laughs> kind of like, the, you know, the glasses, like they're kind of dressed the same, like about the same height. And he's just like this unnecessary intermediary, like that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, too bad. Oh, well, you know, moving on. That's Cal's connection to the radio business. It could be. Yeah. Well, Cal is, uh, He's a mover and a shaker, and uh, maybe he was doing somebody a favor or just, you know, getting cross-promotion with these radio stations. Right, so it's yeah. all the business, right? Promotion. So we know he was a influential guy. So it is the main event of the, the final match of the evening, and it's a title match between Paul Orndorff and Randy Savage. 
Savage has a purple robe with white fringes and his name on the back. And there's a sign in the audience, a lady's holding up that says, my husband lusts for Elizabeth. Oh, I don't think I saw that. Yeah, that's good. It's pretty funny. If anything's going to get the macho man worked up, that's yeah. definitely it. So Orndorff is trying to get into the ring. He's got purple trunks, of course, with Mr. Wonderful written on the back. Macho Man's kicking the ropes and we'll let him in. That's right, you know, yeah. So uh, half of the whole segment is, you know, trying to get the match started. I do object to the fact that Macho Man was already in the ring and that Orndorff made <laughs> course, his entrance yeah. second. What is this garbage? But we, at least we have Macho Man's music and Orndorff doesn't really have any music. I'm just going to interject for one second. It's weird. Somebody posted online earlier this week and it's a match, a rare match in 85 Babyface Orndorff coming to the ring to some really famous, you know, rock song. But it must have been a very short-lived experiment. <laughs> but there it is, you know, like, and I don't I don't remember what it was called. Like, the, the name of the song was on the, it, it wasn't one of those names where I'm like, aha, you know, but, but when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Right. Well, at least they uh, introduced them in the correct order. They introduced Paul Orndorff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Trying to get in. And first, he men- he actually introduces Elizabeth Pryor to Macho Man, and she gets cheered. <laughs> That's right, big cheer. Macho Man gets booed, which, of course, is the part of the greatest thing in wrestling, the whole <laughs> Macho Man, the beauty and the beast of Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. When Paul Warner does get into the ring, Macho Man hides behind Elizabeth, cowers behind this beautiful 105-pound manager. He wraps himself around the ring post pretty much. Yeah, (laughs) and she looks gorgeous in her, yeah, you know, sort of cocktail sequin dress, elegant and and enchanting and and non-threatening. And and yeah, the crowd loves her. So yeah, it's it's just incredible heel work to hide behind this lady, the macho, so-called macho man hiding behind his, his, (laughs) his girlfriend, his manager. It's great. And she's just like such a lady that, you know, you just can't, you, you, you can't, you can't. No, I, I didn't really notice. I, I think like from the interview segment, I don't, the, or Miss America or whatever, Miss USA, she's not really at ringside, is she? Actually, you do get a look at her oh, later. Oh, okay, okay. But they don't make a big deal of it, I guess. Is the we don't get to see everything. Yeah, when yeah. The, the video starts up, you know, Macho Man was in the ring and his music was playing. Right. So they probably, we must have missed, like, you don't not introduce her. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, obviously she, you, uh, what a wasted opportunity. If you simply, exactly. she walks up to the ring and the ring announcer doesn't even, if she doesn't A, get into the ring and B, get introduced as Miss America and get a pop from the crowd and a cheer. The hometown crowd. Yeah, yeah, what are you thinking? It's ridiculous. <laughs> so I did see her. Okay, that's good. Sitting beside our man, Cal Redman. That's right. Oh, yeah. So hopefully she they were smart and they introduced her and she got her moment in the sun. Yeah. Back into the ring. So when Orndorff is in, Macho Man retires to the safety of the apron. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually the referee takes the belt from him so he can show the crowd oh, yeah. the stakes. And Orndorff grabs the belt. <laughs> From the ref, and he starts posing with it. I know, it's so funny. It's great, and there's like a great angle too where the camera is looking up from the ground, and you've got this awesome shot of Orndorff holding it to his waist and Macho Man leaping over the opposite, you know, like in the background, Macho Man's leaping into the ring to, you know, confront him. Right. Which doesn't work out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I, like, something happened. I like, I lost my attention span for a second. Like, something came up or something, you know, I took my eyes off the screen and the next thing I know, like, Orndorff had the belt around his waist and I was like, like, what what is going on? So, Savage comes to put that to a stop and Orndorff turns around and 
the belt is a weapon. He's going to whoop him. Right? So <laughs> Macho Man has to run. He's so good at getting out of the ring quickly. So it's great pre-match shenanigans. Gorilla loves to take advantage of his proximity to the wrestlers to give them, <laughs> yeah. you know, advice or scolding. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, a little Critiques. steering. That's right. So he's like, the action's in the ring. Hey, fella. Because yeah. <laughs> Macho Man is like stalling and stalling. It's, it's classic. Finally, Macho Man gets his robe off. He does the high-low. He uh, goes from the floor yeah. he climbs up to the third rope points the finger at the guy and then kind of jumps into the ring and then he goes down on all fours that's like right. the jyd and then often he'll scuttle back to the floor that's right <laughs> it's like cycle. climb the mountain and get back yeah so uh he does that the commentators even say oh he's doing a jyd well um but in this case before he doesn't actually leave the ring he gets up for his classic finger twirl and then the fake jab you know like and stamp the the mat yeah. you know to make it look like he's you know yeah it's just he's working up the aggression it's He's like ready to fight. All the classic macho man moves. But then uh, he bails, of course. He's, he's got to go outside the ring. When he gets back uh, up onto the apron, he comes and he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And puts out his hand for the handshake. Like, you know, he's just uh, a master of suspending the action. Paul Orndorff is too smart to fall for that. I don't really understand what happens. It looks like, it looks like Paul Orndorff kisses his hand and then macho man takes oh, his wow. hand I mean, back but it, it probably more like he gobs in it yeah, like something maybe, a little yeah. more like because macho man withdraws his hand and you know looks a little bit like you know just uh, flustered at his his devious tactics aren't gonna work <laughs> so i don't know <laughs> yeah so i'm guessing he just i don't know because then my and model just, i'll shake your hand or whatever and uh, macho man's like changes his mind so we get into a collar and elbow. We get a couple of arm ringers. One guy, ring, you know, usually when there's an arm ringer, the other guy does it right away. Especially if, you know, the heel arm rings the face, then the yeah. face somehow immediately reverses. reverses it. Yeah, but not so much the other way around. <laughs> <You know? Exactly. laughs> if, if the face gets the arm ringer first, then the heel's like, oh, he's got me. This is a one-way street. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, but uh, so that's kind of a 50-50 a couple of exchanges there and Macho Man grabs the ropes and then you can hear a real clear scold from the audience you pussy <laughs> nobody bothered to edit that but they'll spend all this money to... I think I heard the voice you're talking about but I don't think I made out what they said that's yeah, I good. sure did <laughs> so we get another collar and elbow and then Macho Man puts a headlock. This is broken up by pushed off into the ropes. And then we get an uh, arm drag, real nice deep one. And uh, Savage hits the mat hard. So he does. he's always known for taking good arm drags. Yeah. Happens twice. So Macho Man says, enough of that. Yeah, I've never seen Orndorff do such good arm drags. Like they, yeah. like they're, and they're not the style of a Ricky Steamboat, but they're the effectiveness of a Ricky Steamboat. So naturally, Macho Man needs to break that up. And he bails and he's outside on the floor again. Throws a chair in because that's... <laughs> That's going to solve his problems. Yes. It's immediately removed. Macho Man gets into the ring. And then as he's uh, getting, uh, Orndorff is in the center and Macho Man's like kind of backing up into the corner and does the classic duck his head between the second and third rope. And that's like, right. you Come know. Come on, ref, get him back. Yeah, that's right. So he can't be hit. Even though he's already like 15 feet away. Yeah. And this is where Mr. Wonderful's had enough, and he leaves the ring. That's right. And he goes and finds a beautiful bouquet of flowers, and he... uh I'm guessing that these were already presented to Suzette Charles, you know, maybe as a prop or something, maybe, or maybe yeah. she brought them down to the ringside. But then they all, everybody seems to think it's a great idea. Mr. Wonderful makes a big show of taking and presenting these flowers to Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> and she's yeah. such a graceful lady that she takes them, accept, accepts them, because she never does anything unladylike. Yeah. 
And uh, this drives Macho Man absolutely yeah, yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the camera works good because, like, Orndorff's walking around the outside of the ring on the floor, and, like, Macho Man's, like, his gaze is following him all pissed off when, like, you can see Macho Man in the background, like. Yeah, it's like the portrait in the Scooby-Doo cartoon where the haunted mansion, the eyes follow the kids <laughs> in, the, in the painting, and, yeah. you know. Wah, 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 wah. So you are, of course, knowing these flowers are not long for this world. Right. Poor flowers. It's like a turnbuckle in George Steele. They, they, they're a special kind of flower that does look just like it. Yeah. You probably don't want anything with thorns considering what's coming up. That's right. <laughs> Unless you're, you know, planning that. So uh, sure enough, Macho Man goes out there and, and grabs the flowers. I thought he would stomp them right away. But instead, yeah. he takes them into the ring. That's right. And he's going to use them as a weapon. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't work out <laughs> too well for him, of course. It's a reverse, and then he gets the flowers in his face. That's kinda right. like And very much like a George Steele foam, say, turnbuckle foam eye rake. It's a flower petal eye rake. That's right. Blinding him with the, you know, a lovely scent, though. Refreshing. <laughs> and so Macho Man takes a face full of flowers, and he's stunned. And uh, there is, you know, the, the petals are all over the ring. <laughs> and then we get into some, you know, uh, then we get into some fighting. And some a wrestling match begins, or at least a, a wrestling match fight begins. So Orndorff, you know, lays into Macho Man. He takes a few punches and kicks. Orndorff looks great. His body's in fantastic yeah. shape. We have a nice slingshot where Macho Man gets whipped into the corner and takes it really good. So it, Orndorff goes for it again. Macho Man takes another, you know, big blow by getting whipped into the, the corner. Uh, but he doesn't do it sternum first. He does it like most people do. Like he turns as he's running into the corners and then and, and basically takes the blow and his shoulder back and his shoulder blades and it's back. Leaving right. him so that he can see the next spot, see what's going on. Yeah. And anyway, so Orndorff is uh, wrecking, running in, but uh, Savage lifts high knee, catches Orndorff and turns the tide uh, briefly. So it's it's a good seesaw match. I, I just fucking love this match <laughs> uh, because I'd always wondered about it and never seen it. Didn't know it existed. That's right. Mm-hmm. So Macho Man gets to shine a little bit here. He uh, he bounces and goes for his uh, beautiful Macho Man style clothesline. Yeah. And then he t- climbs to the top rope and he does the double axe handle and lands that as well. And he gets a two count and uh, Paul Orndorff kicks out, but he has to actually pull a little hair for the kick out. And the commentator <laughs> yeah, calls yeah. him out on that. Uh-huh. Like, you know, fair is fair. He, Orndorff is actually got some heel tactics. He never quite sheds them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely feel like by the Saturday's main event, match against Adonis, Orndorff is definitely aggressive on the Hostile. line. You know, yeah. he's very much looking like a heel at the end of the match, the way he's beating yeah. up Adonis and stuff. It yep. doesn't look like a baby face. Absolutely. So anyway, Macho Man's, you know, getting his moment. It's fucking great. He does his choking a guy by uh, pulling his neck, using the top rope to basically choke a guy uh, yeah. over the top rope. And he's battering Paul Orndorff, you know, with some more strikes. He gets another two count, but Orndorff puts his foot on the ropes. The way it almost looks like it could be one of those false finisher mistakes where, but the, the the referee is aware. So it's one, two, and then he pats Macho Man on the back to say, oh no, uh, Orndorff's got his foot on the ropes. Yeah. So Macho Man chokes him. Orndorff is able to rally and attempt a roll up off the ropes and get a two count using the tights and cheating. But it's, uh, <laughs> you know, as we said, uh, Orndorff is not above a little uh, right. turnabout his fair play macho man's hitting paul orndorff and he gives him his uh, classic macho man kick where a guy's kind of bent over macho man will, will grab your 
arm by the wrist and right, lift your yeah. arm up so that's out of the way. Yeah, open your open your up, you know, yeah, and then he'll uh, lift his, you know, then he'll give you a kick, you know, to the the chest and and sort of stomach yeah. while the arm's out of the way. So it, it, it looks cool. I like the way that it's, a, it's a, nobody else really does it like that. Exactly, and that's what I love about this era and then part of the '90s too is like. Everyone had these little subtle moves. Like when you watch wrestling now, Stylized. everyone gets trained pretty much the same way. So their move sets are so similar. Like there's people have finishers. I don't even want to call them finishers. They have special moves that are theirs, but they don't have like little like subtle things that are theirs. It seems, you know, not so much. Mm-hmm. Not the way they did in the 80s. Like, you know, yeah. like everyone had four or five little subtle things that nobody else did. You know, yeah. it's a macho Whether you're Honky Tonk Man or DiBiase right. or whoever, you all had your little things. They weren't finishers, but they were just little subtle touches. Then he delivers delivers a beautiful suplex. Macho Man gets Orndorff. It just looks awesome. And another two count. So this is great. He's really selling for Macho Man. Yeah. Get lots of offense in. This is great. Then uh, Orndorff rallies a little bit. And uh, we have... Elbows versus punches. And still Randy Savage comes out on top. <laughs> then he climbs the top rope and gets caught. Oh, no. And now the punches are winning the battle. Four punches and Macho Man's staggered and injured. The action ends up outside. We have an attempted suplex, which fails. But oh, yeah, right. Macho Man tries to suplex Paul Orndorff. Yeah. It doesn't work out. And then we have a little bit of a strange spot because Macho Man charges into a devastating clothesline. Oh, yeah. It's like, what did you have in mind there, Savage? Exactly, with your arms down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, so that happens. Yeah. And it ultimately leads to a countout. Yeah, like Orndorff scrambling to get back in the ring himself. And it's interesting. I've heard people talk about this. There's era times when the guy coming back in the ring breaks the count. But in this case, no, no, he just, the ref keeps counting and one guy gets in and one guy doesn't. And it's really neat, like that, you know, you know, we, it's kind of like talking about the best two or three rules. Like, how do we know which rules apply? <laughs> when, when do we know what's going to happen? So Paul Orndorff does win the match by countdown. He gets his armed raise, which, of course, results in a lot of cheering from the yeah, audience. But and he's also showing he's visibly like upset that he because he know he knows that he didn't win the title. Yeah. Well, that manifests itself because uh, Mel Phillips goes on to say, while Paul Orndorff is posing and the fans are cheering, he says, however, in the case of a countout, the title, and then Paul Orndorff is close enough to give him a big shove. Shut up when I'm posing. I know. So going back to talking about him, like heel tactics, like he's he's doing his Hogan pose down. He's doing his best, like going each side of the ring, pointing and posing, and just like he did when he posed with Hogan. But when he does that thing with the ring announcer, you're like, oh, wow, that's like he's rearing his head. He's showing the yep. old Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. So this was awesome. Have a look. Savage yeah. versus Orndorff. Well, I love In their the, prime. Um, they go to, the camera goes to the desk, and I forget who's with Monsoon, but they go, they go on for a little bit about how Savage tried to end Mr. Wonderful's career. Because this, if he had suplexed him on the outside, they said, if it happened, his career would be over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little bit of, uh, you know extrapolating (laughs) mild exaggeration there perhaps but anyway so this was a super fun yeah it's just kind of like like we said the match we didn't know we wanted to see we knew what happened on house shows but we didn't think we'd ever find uh you know the actual match but we found it even if the video quality wasn't the greatest it's it's fine give us what you got so another thing of note in july the wwf hires slick and butch reed from kansas city so it's important just because we're going to start seeing Slick, you know, right away. He's he's involved. I'm not sure we're going to see Butch Reed. I'm sure he's on house shows and stuff and maybe some syndicated TV. But Well, Butch Reed, I think, is pretty awesome. Uh, and uh, Slick, 
You know, let's see if he uh, has, if I have a different take on him now, because I, I don't think I liked him then, yeah. but let's see if it's one of those kind of like, oh, he's so good to not like, or whether he just, right. we'll see. Because I didn't like Bobby Heenan either. <laughs> now he's the greatest. <laughs> Love Bobby Heenan. Okay. So what we're going to cover now is there's three weeks of primetime wrestling that have vignettes. And so what we have is Mean Gene Okerlund on the scene, on location, in the hunt for the machines, this mysterious tag team that's going to be coming to the WAF from Japan. So this is a total throwback to like the setup of how wrestlers come in and, you know, these long delayed periods of like multiple vignettes that kind of try to get people excited about, you know, whoever it might be, whether it's Outback Jack or, <laughs> you know, even Razor Ramon, you know. I recall being pretty interested in, uh, I didn't actually take in all the vignettes. I wasn't as dedicated to my Saturday morning ritual. I was too lazy. <laughs> um, the few glimpses I got, they looked pretty cool. Right. Because, you know, I always like there's a big appeal to the masked wrestler. Yeah, for sure. So this first vignette is actually labeled Gene and the Machines. So what we have is Mean Gene Okerlund, you know, out on the streets in Japan, kind of doing like this edited together comedy routine where it's just like little like montage of him trying to talk to locals about the machines as if they're like super famous and everyone's right. going to know excuse who they me, are. Excuse me, uh, which way to the geisha girls? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So he's talking about how they're the... Sushi and sake. <laughs> and maybe a little sucky sucky. Oh, so easy now. <laughs> so they're the hottest tag team in the east and uh there is one moment where gene like he's talking and then he interrupts himself to like look over his shoulder at some young woman who's walking past him and does like he kind of he's hitting on her a bit he's like oh, excuse me uh, excuse I'm, me ma'am you see i didn't watch <laughs> yes. this but i called it <laughs> well we know what gene does <laughs> and there's another part he's asking a local guy if he knows where to find the machines giant and big and you know they're kind of playing up the idea that the guy doesn't speak english anyway so he's kind of just being polite and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's kind of rough humor. And then they skip to a part where Mean Gene's standing in front of Fuji Bank. <laughs> and so, of course, Mean Gene takes that opportunity to make some cracks about if Mr. Fuji has some interests in this bank and nice, all this stuff. Nice. And, yeah. At one point, there's cars driving by in the background. And it's a lot of, you know, what you would call like sort of the miniature cars, very small, you know, smaller vehicles. And Gene makes sort of a, not the greatest joke. He's like, even the cars are small here, you kind of thing, you know, just p picking on. Yeah, well, I mean, they're they're crowded. They're you know they have a lot of bathtubs are not lay down bathtubs because of size restrictions. Yeah, it, it's yeah. you know it's more of a seated style. You know, it's it's just a matter of landmass and population. Right. So we forgive you, Gene. That's right. <laughs> so he's he's in front of different storefronts, and you know, I'm not going to go by each one. There's one he ends up in front of a record store though, and he's asking if they've got a copy of the wrestling album Land of a Thousand Dances. <laughs> And sure enough, they pull out the album and the wrapped cover, you know, the plastic cover on it even has some like Japanese writing on the side. So whether it was a plant or whether legit was in their store or not, who knows, but it's right. kind of cute. Well, it's it's really cool how many North American wrestlers, human beings, performers, entertainers, actors, athletes, we're still talking about professional wrestlers, <laughs> were able to go to Japan and experience right. a, a culture where they didn't speak the language. These guys could have been rednecks, they could have been hillbillies, they could have been city slickers, but all these Americans and Canadians went to Japan That's and right. like made their living and were celebrities and uh, were helpless as barn kittens, you know, on the streets, <laughs> except for they might be celebrities. That's right. So yeah. just fascinating. I mean, that's same goes probably for Mexico and, and a couple of places, but only a few places, really. You know, yeah. they, you hear maybe more about Japan than anything, I think. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's the outside of U.S. and, you know, their Canada tours. Of course, people go to different places in Europe and in South America and stuff. But for sure, you're right. J- Japan's got that sort of the big scene. And we, we've we've seen these massive shows, you know, the, the Tokyo Egg Dome and all this yeah. stuff. So I think there's the, the lore around that and the magic of these matches that happen over there that we never knew about or never saw. And uh, also Street Fighter 2. Hello, you know, love it. Yeah, There's so much sure. from Jap- Japanese, like so. Yeah, it's just a great exchange culturally, and it's just cool how yeah these guys got to go over there and, and be Japanese. Yeah, that's right. So they wrap up the segment with Gene on a street corner, and he's you know basically you know throwing it away, kind of saying like I'm still on the hunt for. The big or super machine and the giant machine. So he's sort of confused. There's two men, and he's not sure whether they're big or super, and there's the giant machine. So he's he's kind of talking about two wrestlers, but there's some confusion there. So the very next week, again on Primetime Wrestling, we get a segment called Meet the Machines. So now we're seeing the outside of a really nice, ornate, traditional Japanese building, and then it takes you to the inside, and you know, traditional Japanese music playing. And they're essentially in what kind of looks like a dojo let's say, and there's these two large men, you know, one of them is huge, of course, and they're masked wrestlers, and they got the Bobby Heenan style, you know, one shoulder strap, you know, mm-hmm. style tights. Yeah. Caveman. Exactly, yeah. caveman, yeah, with, with, caveman. The, with full legs, and Gene sitting across from them, and the smaller of the two men, who's still a very large man, he's kind of doing all the talk. Basically, when Gene introduces them to the camera, he gets interrupted by the smaller two men, who says, no, no, I'm not the big machine, I'm the super machine. So that's okay. kind of neat. And he's speaking. The voice becomes very familiar quite quite quickly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the, the little guy? Yeah. Because I believe I know who everybody is. Yeah. But I, I, to be honest, at the moment, I'm thinking Bill Eady is Super Machine. Absolutely, yeah. So you can hear his voice. You know it's him. He is speaking with no accent whatsoever, but in a cadence that makes it seem like someone who would oh. have English as a second language. And, of course, here's the link. Mask Superstar. Yes, exactly. So Super Machine. Machine. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Sure. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yes. I did not have any of that pre-researched, folks. I'm just a clever guy. There you go. <laughs> so he makes reference to their stable master. I can't remember exactly how it was pronounced, but it was like Wakamata Susan or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and someone you never see. So it's just like a throwaway reference. And to be the number one team in the world, they're going to have to go to the WWF. And that's when Gene's asking if they thought about any American representation. Oh, by the way, sorry, I, I got so caught up in Super Machine. So it's Andre there in the mask. Did you? Are we? No, did you the say the other person hasn't spoken yet? And but I mean, anyone who's yeah, so anyone who's anyone, yeah. it's yeah. Andre. Okay, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But he so far has basically been stoic, just like a statue. Yeah. You know, right, he right, 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 right. So yeah, they mentioned you know if they're going to get a manager in the U.S. and he talks about their stable master has talked to Lou Albano. So they bring up Lou Albano as being their American manager now. And, you know, Mean Gene, of course, you know, recognizes, you know, how great that is for them. This is where you finally, Andre starts talking. So the giant machine starts talking. <laughs> and you hear his voice. So now you definitely know it's, the, you know, if you didn't know it's him before, you know it's him now. And they announced that he's from the uh, island of Fu Yu Tu. Who you too? Yeah. Okay. So the segment basically ends, and it goes back to the primetime desk with Monsoon and Heenan, and this is where we get this great stuff of Heenan all upset, and he's like, "Oh, come on, that's Andre!" Like, and he's supposed to be suspended, so he's like, "Are you telling me?" And he's getting very, very uh, animated and upset, and (laughs) Monsoon's kind of great because he just goes like. How can you lie <laughs> to Bobby Heenan? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so great because well, now this is a good chance for me to bring it up. Uh, Jesse Ventura, I was listening to him like from only about, I think, a year ago when he was at some conference and he was recounting how he became a commentator. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So he suffered these blood clots in his lungs from flying so frequently. Right. And he was, he says, the night before I'm about to wrestle Hogan for the title, he didn't say win, but he did right. say wrestle Hogan, I think in like California or something, you know, anyway. Yeah. And winds up in critical condition. Oh, wow. Wife has to be flown in. And he survives, but he's worried about what he's going to do for a living. That's right, yeah. And Vince calls him and says, Jesse, I got an idea. I think for the first time ever, we're going to put a heel on the microphone. Do you think you can do that? Do you think you can commentate the matches? And he's like, I know I can. Yeah, of course. And the rest is history. Nobody had ever done that, uh, according, you know, I mean. Yeah, we'd have to check the dates. Piper kind of played a bit of a heel commentator in Georgia. But Jesse may have predated him. I'm not sure. We'd have to Fair line enough. those things up or maybe at the same time or, you know, but well, but I'm not sure that Piper's character really quite had the same, uh, like, sort of. Well, here's to tie it in. Yeah. Je- Jesse said, it was easy because all I did was tell the truth. That's right. And he said, if the if the guy was pulling his hair, I'd say, look how talented he is to hide that hair pulling him <laughs> for the ref. So he would have sympathized with Bobby's telling the truth. That's, that's a, right. You know, exactly. So that's why I brought it up because yeah, yeah. Bobby's telling the truth. That's obviously Andre. How can you lie? <laughs> yeah, that's too rich. Yeah. It's really good. So Heenan goes on a pretty good rant, which I'll, we're going to listen to right now because it's pretty funny. And uh, In order to speak that well, just happens English. to be very well educated. The one voice sounds very familiar to me. I can't place it, but I will. But the other one, the giant machine, that happens to be the giant machine. That is Andre the Giant. Now, I'm not going to become unraveled. I'm not going to sit here and get beside myself. looks like you are. Yeah, but not like I could be. Not like what's burning inside of me right now. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. That mask is going to be taken off, and it's going to be Andre the Giant. It's going to be pimped the Stay with us, wrestling fans. We'll be back in a moment. So then there's a third week here. So we're coming back for we've had Meet the Machines. Now we have Visit the Machines. And But before we get to that, we come in from the primetime desk with Bobby Heenan and Monsoon. We kind of come in in the middle of Heenan explaining why King Tonga, which we listened to earlier, why he didn't get paid for his slamming John Studd, why it didn't count, you know, because he wasn't in the match, right? He he slammed him, but he wasn't contracted to wrestle against him. You know, he wasn't on the... He, he didn't have his name on the document. He weasels out of his right. deal. <laughs> deal weaselzer. Yeah. Weaseler. So what we have now is Mean Gene with the super machine and the giant machine, and they're in the woods. They're standing in front of like a tree, and they're walking and talking. It's a bit of a repeat of sort of some of the stuff they've already said. They do come through this really nice sort of a gate, uh, ornate carving, and really the purpose of it is just to show how big the giant machine is because he has to duck. You know, he can't just walk. A, a gate? Oh. Yeah, like imagine like a, maybe a fence that's got like a like sure. an ornate, I don't know what you would call it, but something that's over, over t- if someone has like lattice, you know. What yeah, you, you like know, an like, archway or something. Yeah, an archway. Thank you. Okay. Totally. Yeah. With okay. carvings and, you know, it's all yeah. nice. But I think the purpose of the shot is so that, you know, you see Andre right. ducking because he's Perspective, like, yeah. he's probably like a foot and a half too tall to walk underneath it or whatever. So, so that's pretty good. So you're again, Super Machines talking about like to be the number one Ichiban team, we must be in the States. And Gene sends, you know, uh, you sound like someone I know. You sound like the mass soup. And like, and then Super Machine's like, ah, no, 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 that's not me. I'm, uh, I've, I've always wrestled in Japan. I've spent my entire career. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what's cool about this is, of course, that we know that Mass Superstar and Andre wrestled each other in Japan. Yeah, that's right. And so he was a big enough name to go against, you know, like the yeah. arguably the most famous wrestler of in history, and or, or you know, a draw anyway. I mean, yeah. Andre was uh, something special. You that's know? right. Yeah. There was no one, you know, before or since that was, and and of course that's debatable. But uh, I think that there certainly is an argument to make that Andre the Giant represents professional wrestler, you know. 
That's right. And attraction, you know, where it's like <laughs> it wasn't just that he's going to compete in a sports event. You're going to go see a giant man. Yeah, it was. He was like he was literally like the thing in the circus where you're going to go see the world's fattest man or something, the world's tallest man. Yeah. Like he was on his own. People would pay money just to see, literally come in a room and look at him or something, you know? Like, right. So, and then you put that in the rapid That sports. he was an actual athlete yeah. who was um, uh, capable of incredible things for a man of his size. That's and of right. course, he did suffer from a disease that ended his life early. So uh, there's no intention to disrespect Andre and make him sound like, unfortunately, people did go to see freak shows in their days. It's not a very pretty chapter of human history, but uh, no, there's th- no disrespect intended at all towards Andre the Giant. Yeah, I saw a picture of like it was like early 1900s, and it was like world's fa- world's largest man, and the joke underneath it is like, I was like, I'm in a room with five people that are all bigger than that guy right now. <laughs> like, you know, it's just a different time, right? Like one funny thing was that he started off uh, as. Jean Le Ferre, a, yeah. a fictional yeah, we, character. And some guy's like, John Le Ferre? No way. We're going to call him Andre the Giant. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, after he gets through talking to Superstar, he also kind of does the same thing with Andre. You know, he says, uh, please don't, don't mind if I ask, but uh, you seem very reminiscent of uh, Andre the Giant. And the Giant Machine's like, no, no, I'm the only Giant. I'm the Giant Machine. <laughs> Just same kind of shtick. And that's when Gene starts bringing up their possible opponents, like Bundy and Stud. And then he's like, hey, "Do you know what? Do you know what weasel means? Have you heard weasel? <laughs> it's pretty good." So he started to like talk about who they might fight and stuff like that. And that's pretty much about it. And we we go back to the desk, and you're gonna get again get some great Bobby Heenan, which we'll stick in right here because there's no point in trying to say what he says. It's really funny. Was that Andre the Giant or not? It's a big guy underneath that mask and underneath that. Is that Andre attire. the Giant or it's not? Po- it's possible. Of course it's possible. I'm not saying possible. it is. How can you say it is? A guy's got a mask he on. He talks just like Andre the Giant. Andre the can't Giant doesn't speak English that well. Doesn't speak English that well. The guy can't even laugh in English. What do you mean speaks English that well? That is Andre the Giant. You honestly believe that, don't you? You, you should be extremely upset. And the other then. guy pretends like he don't even know what a weasel is. Everybody knows who the weasel is. What a weasel is. is. You're the weasel. No, I mean, I'm not the weasel. I mean, so, he, he would know what a weasel is. He's they're from the United States of America. That's the first truthful thing you said I since you've been here the weasel. time wrestling. You said you were the weasel. Obviously, You're not going to make a fool out of the whole thing. Extremely upset. Bobby the Brain. Every week at this time, you do a super machine. You're not going to do it this giant week. Machine. We'll be Put back with our feature match in just a moment. Okay, it's a couple of quick notes here in July. So July 14th, there's a King of the Ring. It's the second one ever, and that's where they're going to crown Harley Race. It's one of these house shows, no video, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that, was, that answers my question. Well, why are we yeah, covering this? Exactly. Yeah, we would if it was out there, but it's not. And then this is kind of a neat one. But I mean, at another time, maybe on Patreon, we can at least, well, it may not be very long if we could only tell you the wrestlers who were in it, that would be fun. I'd want to know, like, yeah, the eight wrestlers. Yeah, we def- you know, that, that's definitely won. there. You can look at, go look who the matches were, yeah. what the kind of results Maybe were. Maybe we will get to it someday. Yeah. On July 19th, the who did w- you beat in the final? Pedro Morales. Ah, former, uh, former triple everything. crown. <laughs> former everything. <laughs> wow. Well, that's pretty fitting, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Pedro for passing the torch to another i mean actually at this point you don't think harley's coming back like yeah. i never expected harley race to show up and make a big run no. I, we knew who he was but oh, absolutely like, yeah we weren't i wasn't very impressed though when he showed well, up i mean you know you're a little kid and you're seeing all these super physiques and harley looks like you know he's ready to be someone's grandpa compared to these other wrestlers and but just, we were supposed to be sophisticated that's right we, we were in the know <laughs> <laughs> we were reading the wrestling magazines. That's right, yes. This would be about peak era, almost. 
of, of that, or was it? Did oh, I start? Sure. I, did yeah. I, I, well, almost because I'm about to turn 14 years old because it's yeah. July '86. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. if not now, then very soon I'll be getting my hands on wrestling yeah, magazines. 80, by, yeah, by 84, I definitely was interested in wrestling magazines. I think 86, sure. 87 was when they kind of, maybe I was a bit more aggressive about making sure I looked at them and buying some and all that stuff. So July 19th, the WWF makes their debut with the Silver Dome <laughs> in front of 5,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> the Pontiac Silver Dome yeah. lives in wrestling lore as the future, well... It's going to be where WrestleMania 3 is held, of course, yeah. and there's a record number that eventually I think gets broken. However, the they say the greatest match, so okay, the Silver Dome. Yeah, um, it's kind of neat. So are, are you serious? There were 5,000 people at the Silver yeah. Dome? Yeah, it was uh, Hogan versus Morocco was the main event, and there was five. The Silver Dome is set up, it was set up to be, like, you could c- configure it for tons of different, it wasn't always a 90,000 plus whatever venue, you know, like you could set it up as like a 10,000 seat venue. They could curtain different areas off and stuff like that. So I'm sure they were using a smaller footprint, let's say. So it's not, I'm sure they didn't have 5,000 people in that cavernous place, you know, like making I it I played ridiculous. the Silver Dome, 50 people, they loved it, couldn't get enough. <laughs> but hey, by the way, I have some new terminology, patented, legendary wrestling obsession terminology. You're going to know what I'm talking about. It's now called, not an Irish whip, a Moroccan whip. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> got it? Moroccan whip. You heard it here first. Now tell the people what I'm, tell the people what I'm talking about, Draper. <laughs> That's when he would do his one-armed Irish whip. He would just, with his right hand, he would grab like the guy's left That's hand. Right. And he would just start throwing him like with one hand. And That's that right. second hand would sort of maybe come in as a little guidance at the end. But That's uh, right. The Irish whip is my left grabs your left. Yeah. But no. The Moroccan whip. <laughs> and then you get a, a hash pipe and a little, you know, carpet, a nice hot shave, you know. <laughs> Moroccan whip. Okay. So Boston. We're in Boston for August. Or it's a coffee. A Moroccan whip. Two Moroccan whips. <laughs> Blues Brothers. Moroccan whip. Moroccan whip. Three Moroccan whips. <laughs> Boston, August 9th. Wait we have a minute. A... July. What a July 26th. There's something July 26th. Uh, that was Sheik Volkov, which I don't know. Okay, yeah, no, we didn't, no. Okay, so I turned 14. Hooray! <laughs> Nothing wrong with my birthday. Oh, your birthday's great. Yeah, July 26th, but there was a match we're not covering, so anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but the match we do want to cover, because this man's on the big event, and that's the Rebel Dick Slater, uh, and he's taken on, I think, our favorite jobber of all time. <laughs> I didn't know this, but yeah, this guy, Pete Doherty, is fucking hilarious. Like, we got my our first look on the very first Saturday Night's main event. Pete Doherty, I had no idea he was on there, even though I think I saw it back in the day. I had forgotten all about Pete Doherty, and I didn't have enough Coliseum videos to know who he was, and I just hadn't paid enough attention, so I'm discovering him all over again, and he's awesome. So much so that I decided I wanted to go and watch a shoot interview with him as well, because I just got a kick out of him so as as far as this match goes Doherty is the uh, most colorful jobber going yeah I think he's like a living cartoon like his face I don't know anyone has a face like that that's just so expressive he's missing his bottom four teeth bottom row the front four so but he makes it look like he's got fangs (laughs) at one point I remember just like as he was like sticking his head through the ropes and growling at the crowd complete guttural non-word you know scary intense he looked like a troll or a beast i just thought this guy look and plus he's got big round shoulders and a thick torso like he really looks you know like something it was just so awesome he really takes his character 
seriously in a playful manner that is not playful, scary, and but you know this is an actor <laughs> yeah. who's pretending, and just like I, the, the audio was so quiet, but he had. Volkov level quality okay, yeah. growls and, <laughs> rah, 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 and and like and and, and like uh, sheep herder. Yeah, I I do love the noises that some guys makes that, that some guys get on my nerves with what they have to always make sound. Other right. guys are quiet, and then some guys are hilarious with the sounds <laughs> that they make. And and Pete Doherty is right up there at the top with the um, vocalizations and and just making grunts and growls and. Um, so he's not, he's not an athlete in there to win a sporting event. He is, uh, uh, you know, the troll who lives under the bridge (laughs) who will gobble down all three goats, you know, know? and, uh, he's so much fun. And so he's got the bleach blonde hair, but the, the yellow beard that looks like he's had a cigarette dangling out of his mouth for the last 30 years, you know, (laughs) Dick Slater is so secondary in this match. He's wearing his rebel Dixieland, uh, you know the, the the Confederate flag, like a, a like a cape, right? And yes. then he's got the same kerchief neck on. And when he gets introduced, like there's there's boos and cheers, even right, though yeah. Pete Doherty's already played the. Uh, it's clear that he's the bad guy, just the way that he's shaking right. his fist at yeah. the crowd. I'll, I'll, you know, he didn't do an airplane spin this time. <laughs> <laughs> a variation of it, yeah. Like he's never s- still. Yeah. He doesn't stand still. He's like always pacing and circling yeah. and, and yeah, a little bit, not exactly his, his awesome, you know, <laughs> victory lap, but like he's pre-victory de- lap. Yeah. But, but he's very, he's so animated. He's always engaging the crowd. I laughed out loud, I think four times in this match, whether it was the commentators taking shots at Pete Doherty <laughs> or Pete Doherty taking shots from Dick Slater in the ring. Do you remember who was on commentary? Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes. Okay. And Gorilla's just like, Pete Doherty, oh, win-loss record, 957 losses and zero wins. He says he says he's going to retire when he wins his first match. And Lord Alfred's like, on his way to 958 losses here tonight. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Doherty. But actually, he gets a lot of moves in. It's like an eight, yeah. nine-minute match. Yep. And uh, he uh, sabotages a Pearl Harbor. Um, if he didn't say it, it certainly and uh, it would be <laughs> out of character. But uh, rushes in. Attacks Dick Slater as he's, you know, got his back turned and getting off his last bit of gear. Gives him a snapmare. And it's a real 40-60 match, like, uh, with, yeah. with moves and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And so it was great to get to see that Pete Doherty can suplex and, and do... He kicked out of a neckbreaker, which I, I was like, oh, is this Dick Slater's finisher? Right, yeah. Because I didn't stick around long enough to even know what... And I'm afraid I don't even remember. I know that Dick... So I don't want to give away the ending here, but you know, our man Pete's not going to win this, and I don't yeah, even remember yeah. the finish. I, I do remember how Slater ended his Superstars match that we reviewed on a on a Patreon uh, yet to be released uh, episode from okay, the November twenty second. He basically the the very end of the match, he was an elbow drop. You know, he wasn't even that, off the top or anything. He did an he did a uh, he did an elbow drop off right. the top earlier. Okay, and then at the yeah. end, but then at the end of the match, he just basically he got the guy down, and it was I think it was Jimmy Jack Funk, and he you know he, he did a he just did a running elbow drop, bounce off the ropes, boom, elbow drop. I feel and, like there was an unusual looking elbow attack that I thought was like, oh, that looks stylized. Not everybody does this yeah. every match, so yeah. that it was something like a finisher. But um, there were other clumsy moments, like kind of botchy bits that, like, it's worth a watch for the laughs and for Pete Doherty's commitment to character. So I recommend people go and have a look at this because uh, Doherty is just an absolute gem. So I watched him and he talked. Turns out he's from 
Boston, which right. I didn't know until he suddenly said Gaddens. You know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> he's a native. Yeah. And so they had no security at, at one point, he said, in the 70s. And that was really, really bad. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he also, he said, and there was one little bastard. And he looks at the camera. I know you're out there, you little bastard. You're probably 30 now. <laughs> and he described a little boy, a gather, um, uh, or I guess 10, you know, it just... It, from the look of Doherty, now he's 20, yeah. anyway, years plus from the uh, time I'm gathering. Well, let's say actually, oh, okay, wait, he's talking about the 70s, so uh, anyway, whatever, I won't slow down too much for the math. The kid had an elastic band and paper clips and would hit the wrestlers, oh, and it, it felt like he said, bee stings, <laughs> and so he was like, that little bastard would zip you, and there was no crowd control at all, nothing. Wow. And so he uh, he recalls a time where they like it's I guess our it's our Blues Brothers reference show. They lowered some chicken wire to protect the wrestlers <laughs> from the bottles and shit. But it was a green net. Yeah. A green net was wrapped around there, including and then for the first time, like Doherty sitting in a pretty nice looking easy chair, and it cuts to these three guys. And I almost think this was the inspiration for the Saturday Night Live three fat Boston guys, like the Bears, <laughs> right, yeah, the yeah. Chicago guys, yeah, you yeah. know, but New England guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Because like there were three guys all crowded behind one desk, but like the sort of the, the cheapest studio set desk that was like six <laughs> feet. And these guys were like each three and a half feet wide. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. they're all crammed behind one desk, like a job <laughs> interview. And like he's got a nice, comfortable chair. He looks comfortable. So sorry, these are the guys that are kind of interviewing him yeah. or oh i see okay three of them yeah pete doherty's got like a three-man panel and yeah. he's holding he's holding court in his nice easy chair <laughs> and he looks comfortable and these three guys are all on folding chairs <laughs> crammed behind one desk and they're not healthy looking guys no they're, <laughs> it's pretty yeah so it made me think of the uh the best <laughs> you know yeah. mike did guy anyway uh so pete doherty told a story about another place that had a balcony and somebody threw a fucking chair off it oh my god and it hit campatera right in the mouth and knocked his teeth out smokes the other wrestlers yeah the way he tells it that there's like that they were like ken ken look out duck and he just turned around to take a fucking wooden chair leg in the face ouch the pete doherty angle or just yeah i'm I'm having a great time with the show with the performers that i didn't know that were um out there really they're a lot more entertaining than they remember i i just hated him on my coliseum tapes because he would eat up like i said you got your 90 minute tape and yeah. his match would go like 12 minutes and be like ah, i could have got a different match in here right but yeah i didn't i didn't get the comedy back then you know? but we had noted kids. some of those runways to the ring look sketchy as hell yeah yeah and so he was talking about you know before there was any protection at all and finally said mcmahon yeah. senior sprung for some security because the guys are all getting upset at, right. and like you know after the the green uh tent uh, netting was you know <laughs> rope cage was lowered and finally they sprung for security <laughs> in Boston the gardens you little bastard I know you're out there okay that's awesome this same card in Boston features you know a really unique match and we, we, the only reason we're covering this is so rare they're so it's a it's a gem it's a heel heart foundation versus Sheik and Volkov Sounds very promising. Yeah. All the participants are in the ring when the clip starts, and this is where we see Slick, the Doctor's style. There's no Freddie Blassie, because in this era, they were kind of working together. You know, they had both managers. He'd The idea was that he'd bought half the contractor you know, along that lines. It comes up exactly how that works out. But Sheik and Volkoff are introduced first, and the cr- crowd clearly is booing them. And then the Hart Foundation are there with no Jimmy Hart. So that was kind of disappointing because I wanted to kind of see the the dueling managers, you know, like kind of how that was going to happen. 
And here we are. There's a subtle pink stripe down the side of these their outfits. So, like, you know, it's not like the pink that we think of in, like, 87, where it's actually predominantly pink with a little bit of black. That's where that whole pink and black attack comes from. This is that subtle black, but there's, like, a pinstripe, I don't know, pinstripe's not the right word, but there's a stripe down the side, and it was pink, so that's the first time I'd noticed it. I think I told Jeff, we're not going to see any pink until 87, but so, <laughs> Corey was wrong on that. <laughs> you sound like a nerd dormitory around. <laughs> what was that? No pink till 97. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, of course, Volkov has to sing his anthem. Yeah. Naturally. And of course, the man has a wonderful voice. Of course, the other heel team has to attack him. <laughs> yeah, there's not much choice. If you're wrestling she can Volkov, you're going to be the face. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. This is faces. <laughs> this is what we're finding. So yeah, they did get a little cheer, uh, the Heart Foundation, that is, when they got announced, surprisingly. I think Gorilla or whoever it is even uh, mentions like, oh, I'm sure they're not used to hearing that, you know, kind of thing, because they've been dastardly healed themselves. So yeah, Anvil's in there punching Volkov and Brett jumps uh, cheek and, you know, we get right into it. So Lord Alfred Hayes is talking like he's never seen Slick before. So that was kind of neat. Like the idea that like someone that works for the RUF, a commentator is like, who is this gentleman? Like, you know, you're going to you're gonna have to smarten me up on this or something along that lines to Gorilla. So once they get back to actually wrestling, uh, Volkov... <laughs> nails Bret Hart with some shoulders. And here, after a couple of those, there's where we get one of those great Nikolai Volkov cartwheels. <laughs> he's got he's to show off. <laughs> yeah, uh, he, uh, at a weigh over 300 pounds, he has no problem going from the inside of the ring to the apron in the tag team partner waiting position. That's right, yeah. By just jumping over the top rope. Yeah. I, I did take a look at the Funks versus Volkov and Sheik and saw... Nikolai Volkov, Monsoon said, looks like he's put on 15 pounds. And then he just easily vaults himself <laughs> over the yeah. top rope from the center to the apron. Like, like nothing. Yeah. So, of course, Volkov's, uh, you know, gloating here, of course, leads to getting drop kicked in the face by Bret Hart because yeah. he turned his back to him. So that's it's set up. It's Wait pretty funny. Turned his back and get drop kicked in the face. Oh, yeah. well, he turned his back. And then when he turns back to look he's at him, that's when he gets around. the drop kick in the face. Yeah. <laughs> How do you get drop kicked in the face and you're turning around? <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of skipping over a lot of the stuff here. So just just pull a little the bit. Back of the face. Funny. Yeah. Kicked in the back of the face. The back of the face. Yeah. <laughs> so at one point Sheik is, uh, gets a bit of an advantage on Brett and he positions up against the rope and he goes for this big walloping punch like he really winds up for it and Brett ducks so like Sheik basically throws himself out of the ring it's pretty funny that happened in the punk match yeah. <laughs> same spot <laughs> yeah so of course at some point right around this time Grella refers to Bret Hart is the excellence of execution. So that was uh, something they called him all the time. But before they called Bret Hart that, they called Cowboy Bob Orton that. Ah, <laughs> poor Ace. Think. He really yeah. got a rough run. Yeah. We love, love we'll Ace. have to come back to round to Ace because uh, we I don't know if he's if he's basically wrapped up. Oh, no. He's at WrestleMania 3. Him and he gets into the thing with he's going to be with Adonis now. And then eventually him and Morocco are a tag team. And Oh, good. But he doesn't have the, the key spot. He had Plenty of Moroccan whips to come. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so they try to do a double team uh, on Brett at one point. They go for this big kick, but he moves. So Sheik gets nailed to the outside. Or pardon me, it's, it's uh, Sheik nails Volkov. He kicks Volkov, knocks him down to the floor. Like, did he did the tap tap? With the no, boot? no, it was a running boot. It was like a yeah. <laughs> so the crowd seems to be loving the Heart Foundation offense. Whenever they're kind of getting the you know winning, they're getting the cheering and stuff. And there's a bit of a botch spot on a rope spot between Volkov and the Hitman. Uh, but it ends up leading to a backbreaker on 
on Bret Hart. So they try to attack Sheik from the second rope, but uh, Volkov grabs him. It's super funny. So like, <laughs> Bret Hart goes up to the second rope, but he, I guess he's too close to like the corner where Volkov is. So he just comes over and just kind of grabs him from the outside. Like He doesn't attack him really per se, but he just prevents it from happening and that allows Sheik to come back in and mess things up. So of course, Jim's got to come in now because it's sort of like this two, two-on-one happening and uh, we've seen something similar before and it's really funny. So Neidhart's coming in, but he has to like change his pass so that he kind of grabs the ref on his way there so that the ref can now be like, no, no, you got to get out. Right, yeah. Because <laughs> if he just took a direct line, he, the ref wouldn't have stopped him. So yep. although that was really funny. Uh, and so once they have the advantage against Sheik spitting on Brett and after some punishment, Volkov whips uh, Brett to the rope and drops his head for a back body drop. Brett does a sunset flip and Sheik immediately comes in. So I've seen this in a lot of their matches. It's kind of their go-to spot is that like they set up the sunset flip and then Sheik is ready. Like he's there the moment it happens so that he can step into the ring and distract the refs. And now Volkov's being pinned for, you know, a seven or eight or nine or 10 count. Right. <laughs> but of course the ref's not there. So it was really funny. So they go to a bit of a commercial break and that brings us back to Bobby Heenan and Monsoon. And I wasn't sure what was going on, but Bobby Heenan is threatening legal action against Gorilla for hurting his hand. <laughs> Oh. So there's something happened with, I think there's a phone on the desk and I think that maybe like Gorilla must have slammed Bobby's hand with a phone or something. I, I even tried skipping back to find the segment and I couldn't, I found when he wasn't hurt and then I found when he was hurt and I'm like, where, where did he, where did he get hurt? So I don't, I don't know what happened here. If anybody knows, let us know. It's, it was pretty funny. <laughs> you don't think that Gorilla position, Gorilla Monsoon had anything to do with well, 100%, the Well, 100%, that's what it's about. Yeah. Oh? Yeah. Okay. They called it Gorilla position because that's where Gorilla Monsoon would sit during the shows. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And control like when people are going out and stuff like that. Oh, and, and, okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the WF thing. Like the other places, like like NWA and stuff. JCP, they didn't call it Gorilla Spot. Like, no, you know. maybe they do now. Everyone calls it that now. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to check out something authentic, go take a look at Bobby Heenan paying his respects to Monsoon on air when uh, when Monsoon passed away, and they it's just a five second clip from Thunder or Nitro or something, but it's very sincere and very touching. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't have seen that, I don't think. How about our longtime friend, Gorilla Monsoon? A gorilla will be sadly missed. Now, he was one big tough man. He was a decent, honest man. And we're all going to miss him very much. And you know the pearly gates in heaven? Yeah. It's now going to be called the gorilla position. Goodbye, my friend. So when we come back from commercial, uh, Bret Hart's on the ground, and we got uh, Volkov coming over to make the tag. So she comes in and applies the abdominal stretch. But he doesn't have that leg hook, so he's gonna get he's gonna be taken to school by Gorilla. This leads to eventually to a heart gorilla? kick toss. Gorilla, yeah. <laughs> gorilla monsoon. Yo, he always he'll always pick on somebody. He's like, right. I, I was I, I was picturing in the ring, gorillas oh, yeah. in there throwing punches, <laughs> no, no, taking no. to school. Chop, <laughs> chop. Yeah, I'm like, what? <laughs> so there's a Bret Hart hip toss, but he tries to go for an elbow drop instead of making that tag. Gives a mistake because he misses. So the chica is gonna end up going for a suplex. D- does a gut wrench suplex actually on him. And that sets up the camel clutch. So Bret Hart's in big trouble here, but Anvil comes in and nails Sheik. Nobody's ever submitted to the camel clutch. Ever, never, never, what? never. What are you talking about? I know. I'm, I'm still heartbroken that Davey Boy quit like within three seconds exactly. of his first title defense. And just like, what? Come on. He's not even the injured one. Yeah, the match was like 70 seconds old or something. Yeah. You know, like, you know I like that they build the camel clutch, but that's just, you don't ridiculous. do that. Ridiculous. You don't do that. Exactly. Especially since all the other ham and eggers get out of it. Exactly. <laughs> Our new champions. So Anvil comes in and breaks it up. But of course, Brett can't get out yet. 
So the Sheik goes for a suplex, which Brett reverses. So he nails Sheik with a, vo- a suplex and finally gets the hot tag to Anvil, who comes in with one of his nice drop kicks on the Sheik. I love Anvil had a pretty good drop kick for a man of his size. It was pretty mm. good. No Jerry Blackwell, but, you know, still, yeah. <laughs> still pretty good. Nikolai does manage to get some shots in on Anvil, but he fights back and kind of starts landing his own blows. So this is sort of like they're playing the baby face. You know, like as soon as there's a hot tag, oh, it's two villains against one, you know, supposed hero, even though he's he's a villain himself at the time. But he does a double noggin knocker on Sheik and Volkov. So he's wrestling like a, you know, he's wrestling like a baby face. <laughs> he's on fire. Anvil. Yeah, that's right. So he gets another drop kick on Volkov and she goes for the pin. Sheik breaks that up. So all four men end up in the ring and Brett dumps Sheik outside. But of course, this leads to the ref escorting Hitman back to his corner. And Anvil lifts up Volkov for the slam and Sheiky from the floor trips him. And the referee gets back just in time for the one, two, three. Oh, does he hang on to his foot? Can you tell? No, he doesn't. Yeah, he just trips him. And then so at this point, Anvil's bullying the ref, you know, after the match about the cheating. And the replay shows it's pretty awkward how long Anvil had to wait. Like, there's a delay. So, like, Anvil, like, lifts up Volkov, holding him up over more on his face than by his chest, you know? Like, he's like, he knows he's going back, but it's like it's not happening. <laughs> so, that doesn't look the greatest when you see it from the replay. You're like, and it's not just because it's in slow motion. He literally is, like, standing there way too long. So, they go back to the desk with Bobby and Monsoon. And Monsoon's, like, couldn't believe Jimmy Hart's not there because whoever was going to win this match is going to be a top contender for the, you know, the British Bulldogs Tag Team Championship. And how could he not be there? Kind of thing. So it's pretty funny. And this is where Bobby starts threatening him and says next week he's going to... Once gonna... he's right, actually, I guess. <laughs> so this is this is where Bobby's threatening to say he's going to have Orndorff with him next week to uh, take care of Monsoon. Oh, right. <laughs> this is past, post-clothesline. Yeah, we're past the clothesline from hell here. So that's going to take care of that. Now, another match, which we only had a very short clip of from this event, is another Jake Roberts versus Ricky Steamboat matchup. Joining the match in progress... It's a different length and pace, as Corey's pointed out at house shows from televised matches. A bit of housekeeping that I didn't know what I was watching, but anyway, well into the match, they're both very sweaty, and Jake appears to be working Ricky's arm and wrist. He does a lot of wrapping Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's arm around the top rope, which gets the count, but, you know, for four seconds, Jake's got him tied up, and he'll punch the fist or the rope or even the face or his arm, just, and he's really working Ricky's arm. There's a fine, I mean, this is the first time I'd actually seen, chronologically, it would be, and for some people, the first time you ever see Ricky get any revenge on right. Jake. So it's good to see him kicking and punching Jake the Snake Roberts, and after that awful humiliation on Saturday night's main event. Pretty back and forth match, a lot of great offense between both guys. Um, there's some funny bits where Jake is takes the tape off of his wrist and he's going <laughs> to choke, but he's kind of like, he's trying to hide it behind his back while he's got his back turned to the ref so the rat the ref grabs the tape from him and then <laughs> yeah. confronts him and waves it under his nose and then well, jake's the, like no no no, no he no, kind of shoves the ref out of the way which kind of draws attention from the ref to his illegal item <laughs> it's odd heel tactics yeah oh as then pete doherty kept pointing he would say to the mic he would say when his match if he would kick out he'd be like strategy <laughs> point to his head yeah, the, the things that amuse me about Doherty will keep coming back to me as, uh, as we go through the episode. Towards the, the end of the match, it looks like Jake is going to win. There is a bump, and then Jake delivers his awesome short arm clothesline where he, he pulls the guy in. He uses almost yeah. a Moroccan whip to That's pull right, a guy. Almost. <laughs> well, I, I think the big setup there is that Steamboat comes off the top with this big chop and has Jake pretty hurt. And then when he picks, when Jake gets up, he basically throws... Oh, right. Ricky into the ref. That's how the bump happens. Yeah, he Correct. bumps. The, so ah. that's how they kill the ref. Right. 
because it looks like it could be the flying body press. That's right. Since Ricky's in, yeah, since Ricky's in the top rope, but that's not what happened. So that leads to the ref bump, leads to an awesome short arm clothesline, the Georgia whip. That's what we're gonna call that one. The Georgia whip (laughs) ends at the clothesline. It's a short trip with the Georgia whip. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, the only thing we didn't get was his awesome. The best ones are when he gives you an arm ringer first. Yeah, you wind it up. One rotation, Georgia whip, short trip. And so uh, Steamboat's out, but this was like part of Jake's, oh yeah, he had such great arsenal, his offensive moves is like what charmed so many people and why he became a face so quickly because his offense was so lethal looking and really cool, crisp, sharp, precise, and, you know, and also stylized, personal, kind of unique as as if the DDT was unique enough. The Georgia Whip, as uh, as it's my new <laughs> vocabulary-lation episode. Oh, That's right. I had a good one earlier. It was a stumble, but I was. <laughs> so we got the Moroccan Whip, the Georgia Whip, and whatever the hell I said earlier. Three orange whips. Three orange whips. That's right. Our Blues Brothers episode. Who wants an orange whip? Orange whip? Orange whip? Three orange whips. Well, he's trying to get that pin, but the ref's just completely out. Yeah. So he's got him he's got Ricky down and out and he's counting himself. Both wrestlers get to look awesome. That's right. In this match. Like they both look really deadly and really tough tough. So that's very generous when one wrestler is like, Yeah, I'll let there and you know, I'll be in the pinned position for like ten seconds. That's it's right. like they only can kick out if they hear that thump. That's thump right. huh? And somehow they know the difference between their opponent thumping and the referee thumping <laughs> them at. That you can just tell. Spidey sense. That's right. I so, love the subtle how subtle it is, but like when Jake gets up to go collect the ref, as one does when the ref is knocked out and you're trying to pin somebody, he doesn't just get up and walk away and go to the ref. He takes the time to drop another knee to Steamboat's head. <laughs> like I love it because it's like yep. make sure the guy's down. Yeah, strategy, as a Duke of Dorchester would say. <laughs> um, so he goes to get the ref. We just watched it. He's slapping the ref and pulling the ref up by the hair. He's being pretty rough and rude. Mm-hmm. And I believe Steamboat. Well, I remember the finish. I'm just trying to think of what happens in between. I know how we get the victory. Right. And uh, I guess that does, when, when Steam, yeah, Jake is picking up the ref, Steamboat comes behind. Gorilla Monsoon calls it something we've never heard before. But yeah. it is basically, it's a scientific maneuver. It's a roll-up kind of cradle, like a sunset flip without the flipping part. That's right. What, a, he called it a sunset roll-up? Is that what he, he said? He called it a sunset, yeah, sunset roll-up, which I've right. never heard anybody say before. As yeah. Jeff said, best. A sunset flip without the flip. Yeah, but I, really, what it was is it was a it was a reverse cradle. It was like he okay. he rolled him up from behind without the part he didn't do is he didn't he didn't run him into the ropes for momentum and then bounce backwards to like sort of go in this reverse roll. He just pulled him down from behind and rolled through and like you know yeah. ended up on top. Yeah, exactly. I mean, from that position, you could do a variety of things like um, the belly to back suplex. Yeah, sure. For example, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, which we don't really see a lot of. Eh? Like that's a move, not a lot. Who who did the belly to back suplex? Not many. With more well, AWA she- thing. Uh, no, it was definitely WF, but I mean, Sheik and, and Saito. Brad Rangans. Brad Rangans. And there yeah, I mean, it, it became, once the German suplex became very popular, then you see it all the time. But back in this era, there was a the German? Kind of that's kind of like the perfect plex? Well, it's a rever- it's a back suplex where you bridge for the pin, basically, oh, okay. and it's usually got the the two instead of cradling the leg on the suplex, you've just got two hands around the around the waist. Ah, uh, okay, right, yeah, okay. 
So yeah. you think of like an atomic drop back suplex or a, you know, and I say atomic drop in terms of like just positioning of your hands and yeah. stuff like that versus a, like in a, the atomic drop back suplex, you're, you're basic, you're in a headlock <laughs> when yeah. then you deliver the suplex yeah. in a belly to back, your head's not trapped. You're as the, as the person giving yeah. the suplex, you're, you're controlling everything. Right. Right, yeah, you got to get lower down so that 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 guy's shoulders hit the mat, and your head yeah. is is all right. Center of gravity German and all this suplex. stuff leverage. What about the Northern Light Suplex? Was that a wrestling video game? They called it that. Oh, uh, sure, Northern Light Suplex. Yeah, that's. Now, was that more like a perfect flex or the German Suplex? Uh, the Northern Light Suplex I haven't seen in so long, so I'm gonna buzz myself here. But basically, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I remember a video game. Somehow, Northern Light Suplex. Like you oh, could yeah, choose for sure. your moves. Yeah, yeah. I think it was that WCW game, that oh, I, I like the, that the one. Nintendo one. That, you yeah, could you select could, your offense. Yeah, there was a list of moves you could pick from to be part of the game. That you was know, fun. Like for each match or whatever, and Northern Light Suplex was, was somebody's. Yeah, we'll we'll fix the Northern Light Suplex in the thing. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Teddy Bear Wrestling League, Corey, would know what the Northern Light Suplex is. <laughs> the Mon Chichi. That's right. So we, okay, so that's how Ricky Steamboat wins this, but we're not done because, like, there's still more life in this feud. So Jake gets the upper hand and gets a DDT and lays yeah. Steamboat out cold. And it looks like it's going to be Saturday Night's Mate all in the middle of the ring, though, not the concrete outside. That's right. It's right. Safer. So he goes and he gets Damien, but Steamboat gets saved by... Dick Slater and Ted Arcidi. That's right. Oh my God, Ted Arcidi looks huge. Yeah, like, it's like somebody took the bicycle Whoa. pump and just like... Um, it's amazing. Steamboat doesn't get subjected to the same humiliation as he did, and he needs to be helped out of the ring, not stretchered out, but just helped out after the DDT. So the DDT gets protected. Everybody looks good. Yeah, he, if, he, if Jake's going to give up a pin, especially this early in his WF run, he's got to get the, the his lexin at the yeah. end. And so he did. So really cool. Great match. And they'll be wrestling again in Toronto at a little Canadian mini WrestleMania. That's right. More than a mini one. So the main event for this Boston card is a pretty great card. So this has been an awesome card to be at. We have a bit of a strange tag team. We've got the adorable one, Adrian Adonis, teaming up with Randy Savage, our intercontinental champion, versus your world champion, Hulk Hogan, and his partner... George the Animal Steel. I'm going to take that hairy bozo, George the Animal Steel, and hurt him <laughs> real bad, yeah. Wrap him up into a pretzel, yeah, and Hulk Hogan, I'm going to take him too and put him in a cage, yeah. Throw <laughs> the key, yeah. Lock him up into the Boston Garden Zoo, yeah. No, where are we? Boston. Yeah. <laughs> So we are in the domain of the Duke of Dorchester, Pete Doherty. <laughs> it is Boston Gardens, and it's the main event. So here is the Adrian Adonis and Hulk Hogan main eventing. It's a tag team contest, but still, this is somewhat thwarted run because of the incident, potentially, with Dan Spivey. But uh, at least they, uh, they did clash, Hulk Hogan and Adrian Adonis, even if it was uh, in this tag team competition. They had somehow show matches for sure. I saw a few where it was Adrian versus Hogan, but just it didn't lead to what you were speculating, which is maybe like a Saturday Night's Main Event match or something a bit more high profile. Because when you look at these wrestlers, you have George Steele and Randy Savage are sort of in that feud. Of course, Savage and Hogan have had plenty of matches against each other, but in this particular case, it looks like you've got Steele matching up with Savage. Therefore, it's Adrian matching up with Hogan. Savage has a purple and gold robe. Adrian has, as usual, he, he kind of sticks with one look. So he's got a pink, 
purplish uh, scarves, which are also weapons. That's right. <laughs> this is no cast on the forearm, but it's just as deadly. <laughs> and his pink trunks and probably a couple of Christmas bows in his hair and his uh, he crazy makeup. He seems to save that for the bigger TV spots. I notice on these, you know, the ones we watch where it's a hookah house show. Yeah, he's a little bit less. Subdued. You know, yeah, exactly. Somewhat subdued. Hogan is giving us a treat. He's got white trunks and boots and blue knee pads. So it's a break from his, <laughs> right. you know, his McDonald's colors, the uh, red and gold, which <laughs> we're going to see. Which haven't taken hold yet completely. No. So yeah. I, mean, I kind of thought they had, but here's contrary evidence. His tag team partner is George the Animal Steel. So he's got an American made t-shirt sleeveless with the slits, <laughs> the ventilation <laughs> in the back. Didn't Hogan come out like with no shirt on? Well, I, I didn't say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's really weird. I think Hogan has no shirt on in his entrance, but George is wearing a shirt. <laughs> well, turns out everybody who ever poo-pooed Hogan was wrong. He's the kind of guy who will give you the shirt off his back <laughs> to promote his brand. I mean, exactly. I, right. Oops. <laughs> right. I think you're actually correct. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't mentioned it, but that's uh, now we know. The heels are already in the ring, and George the Animal... Steel confronts Adrian Adonis with his weird little boogaloo shuffle where he kind of like sticks his, he thrusts his face and chin out towards you and pulls it back and then, in you know, and does this weird rooster walk. It's hand crazy. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes, I think in this case, he's got like where he's got his hands straight, arms straight down, hands kind of like wiggling behind him <laughs> as he's like doing a sort of a pigeon walk, you know. <laughs> of course, you know, this is enough to fluster and bemuse bewilder his opponent until Adrian bails and it's the faces in the ring and of course Hogan loves to do whatever his tag team partner is he's always taking the shtick that's right so Hogan and Steele go to different corners and start Hogan kind of watches for a signal but Animal goes right and begins destroying a turnbuckle after a little and Hogan's just kind of messing with it and then Hogan after a little encouragement, Hogan goes full, you know, snow, right. storm, flurry. <laughs> and the both of them have opened up turnbuckles. <laughs> Adrian tries to come in to choke with his scarf, but he gets blinded slash eye-raked with the foam, which That's is right. what George Steele. And I, I Hogan thought it was does interesting it that George did the middle turnbuckle instead of the top one, because they probably needed the turnbuckle for the match. So they were like, okay, just do the middle one. <laughs> well, it looks like a blizzard in there because right. they're both at it. <laughs> and again, they use the foam, the, the, the padding as... Um, you know, as a weapon. I mean, if you can I use material, yeah, exactly. If you can use foam as a weapon, these guys do it. And yeah, so you've got classic Hogan doing what his tag team partner does. We get to George versus Randy, a very familiar matchup for this era. And as usual, uh, we won't get into the action right away because George Steele does more of his arm waving craziness, and <laughs> Macho Man bails out of the ring when he does that. And repeat the whole shtick again which was frustrating at the time. Now it doesn't bother me as much because it just happens. Oh, wait, here's something different. On the second bail, Hogan catches Randy. Oh, that's right. He's the dog catcher, and he grabs him by the back of the neck and by the back of his trunks, marches him back into the ring and throws him into George Animal Steel. (laughs) And then we finally get some fighting. In the way of, by way of, uh, one of those extended arm hangman chokes, George the Animal Steel picks him up and Randy jumps off the rope and kind of just suspends from, you know, uh, that strangulation simulation. Randy takes a few shots before he decides that it's time to mix things up and he tags in the adorable (laughs) one and Hogan makes a tag in and now we see, as Corey mentioned, the one-on-one Hogan versus Adrian Adonis. 
Hogan has the early advantage, as he naturally would if it weren't for the fact that villains are cheaters. <laughs> they cheat. So it's not long before Adrian is great for for taking for selling, and his yeah, selling course. always includes getting knocked out of the ring between the ropes, <laughs> yeah. over the ropes, through the ropes, <laughs> <laughs> under the ropes. If he can go through the mat, he would. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but Hogan wants him back in. So Adrian is wincing in pain and recovering on the floor when Hogan, le- you know, leans over the top rope and grabs him by the hair and pulls him <laughs> up onto the apron, which apron, which leads to a hilarious spot because Savage figures this is a good chance to. Uh, tilt the scale and tip the odds in their favor he goes and he grabs hogan from behind by the hair so hogan's got adonis by the hair savage has got hogan by the hair but george the animal steel's not having it and he comes in from behind and he grabs savage by the hair so this is big choo-choo train hair pulling train yeah <laughs> it's hilarious that sounds a bit like there was that Piper Orton versus Orndorff and somebody, and there was like a choking train. <laughs> you know, like one yeah. guy was choking the next with another choking him. And <laughs> yeah, we did that one time at a D and D improv show. It was pretty funny. Somebody like came from behind and grabbed him, like ha, and that guy got he was oh no, somebody else grabbed him from behind, and and I don't know if we kept going it to the four man, but it was uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Hogan does one of the most scary, unsafe looking outside of the move attacks that I've ever seen. Like I, you know, I Pray forgot the floor. You mean? Yeah, yeah. I had never. I forgot for one second about all the stuff I'd been hearing about the backstage personalities and who was a dick. And, you know, Hogan goes to Atomic Drop Adrian Adonis on what is audience separation from the performers, a barricade. But this is a different barricade than we've ever seen before. Presumably, therefore, explains why Hogan didn't perceive its height properly. But Adrian did at the last second. Normally, it's of a... You, there's an illusion that you're taking a shot to the crotch when you're actually planting your feet safely and padding the blow and not injuring your little guys. But this <laughs> atomic drop attempt, you know, where he was going to do the whole kind of make a wish and uh, right. and take the bump in the crotch, it must have been taller. Because at the last second, Adrian shifts his spine to the side and he takes a blow what amounts to the back of the upper thigh and uh, probably got a nasty bruise. But it was uncomfortable to watch because... Yeah, this is more of a like wooden board that's somehow, you know, being propped up straight up. And it's like, as Jeff suggested, probably higher than the normal metal railing that they normally drop over. Because you see this all the time. Like the guys will like, oh no, the top rope's on my crotch. But... You know that they're not actually taking crotch shots six nights a week or anything like that. <laughs> so that was scary. That would be a short career. For one second, I was like, was that Dan Spivey just came in and tried to end, you yeah, know, age, right. he, like he, it looked. He looks a little like Hogan, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Anyway, that was spooky as hell. But in a moment, they get back into the ring. Hogan is an Irish name, you know. And uh-huh. so the Irish whip, it's an Irish whip, you see. Hogan, Irish whips, hatred and honest into the ropes, you see. And oh, Adrian, it takes the big boot, which is normally leads to the leg drop in the one, two, three. But Adrian grabs the top rope. He takes the boot, but he also grabs yeah, the top right. rope, which allows him to do some really slick. He makes a tag uh, at the same time, <laughs> a toe hold drop. Um, yeah, yeah. So that Hogan can't go refresh. Yeah, Hogan's like Hogan's like, not Hogan's in, like trapped. Yeah, he's not in trouble, but he is trapped. 
Yeah. It's really smart. I, I was I, I loved this bit. Yeah, and yeah. uh you know, instead of yeah, because normally that would be like preventing a hot tag, but Hogan's in control. It's like, no, I'm getting out of here, but you're not going anywhere. It was really good. Savage gets in, and because Hogan is like on the mat, yeah, uh, he lays a few boots to the back, and then he quick as a cat climbs the top rope, comes down double axe handle on those buzz, those ribs, those busted ribs. <laughs> Remember, it hasn't been very. It's not been so long ago. Or actually, wait a minute. This this is we're July now, so WrestleMania right. two is pretty. I can well see. In the, in all right, don't buzzer me. I concede. No, never, never, never. God damn it, no. No, God damn it. <laughs> that was Ric Flair, for those of you that's who right. didn't in know I was trying a, to do in that. In that reversed figure four. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, the great teamwork by Savage and Adonis. Of course, we know Adonis as a tag team specialist for the East-West Connection and their legendary battles with the High Flyers and the AWA. But Hogan, then, he decides to immediately get back up. It doesn't sell too well for all this, you know, but he wasn't really hurt before. Fair enough. Sure. And then we get a beautiful ping-pong punch where Savage goes from the middle of the rope, the center of the ring. He gets punched by Hogan, staggers over to the steel, takes a punch. Hogan tags in Georgian Animal Steel. And then we get an uncomfortable bestial bite of the breast oh my goodness actually there's no lord alfred hayes but sometimes george animal steel will bite a bicep or in this case uh, a pectoral muscle (laughs) or a titty bite to put it crudely what the hell are you doing george the animal steel uh you know it's one of these situations where you're setting yourself up for a reversal and and like sometimes they get telegraphed badly sometimes they don't but this one uh isn't really too badly telegraphed it could have been a bulldog instead you think Steele's going to ram Randy Macho Man's head into the second turnbuckle, say. But Macho Man pushes him off at the last minute, and Steele really sells. He launches himself over the turnbuckles onto the post. So George Steele meets the Steele post. I worked on that one all night, folks. (laughs) So George Steele's battered. He's injured, and there's a heel tag where Adrian Adonis comes in, and he pulls the hair. You might think to yourself, well, wait a minute. George Steele's bald. Uh, <laughs> yes, but he's also wearing wrong hair. <laughs> yeah, he's got like a total fur coat, <laughs> back hair. So Adrian Adonis grabs his back hair. He's Ouch. grunting. Yeah, it's great. You have these grunting pain from George the Animal Steel, and they're building a hot tag. George the Animal Steel is getting beaten up by our heel team. We have a taunt of Hogan. He takes it. The sucker comes into the ring, <laughs> which only allows for our heels to team up on the. Helpless George the Animal Steel while Hogan's being escorted out of the ring and admonished by the referee. We do get an awful arm bite, which, uh, you know, sometimes, it, you know, uh, I never liked the spot back then. And, and this was another clumsy one where, you know, it, it doesn't even look close to like a lethal clothesline. It looks like more, look at my delicious arm. You know, here it is. I'm just going to hold it for you, you know, as if you would do this, you know, for some, you know, police hound that wanted to devour you. Anyway, so George the Animal Steel gets a bite onto the Macho Man's bicep. They're close enough to the apron that Macho Man uses his other arm to do a big swinging kind of clothesline, and George Steele bails out and onto the floor. Our hot tag kind of fizzles because Macho Man uses this opportunity to tag, so he's no longer preventing George Steele from tagging Hogan. Hogan, uh, Steele just basically climbs, stumbles back into the ring, and tags Hogan. So we get a warm tag. 
Yeah. Anyway, but we are back to Hogan versus Adonis. Now, Adonis pulls two beautiful suplexes, and in both cases, he gets a two count. Huh. It was so good, they did it twice. <laughs> and then he puts a good night Irene on Hogan. Doesn't shoot on him like he does to Danny Spivey, which That's allegedly right. was the first sin. He weakens Hogan, but uh, we don't even get the arm hold-ups or the, you know, the drops. Right. Instead, Adonis climbs to the top rope. He doesn't do a lot of posing or hanging around on that tope rope. <laughs> he's got a lot of weight there. So once he gets up there, he's coming down right away. But Hogan brings up the knees and, or maybe, you know, the shins. Right. <laughs> and uh, it backfires on the adorable one. So Hogan rallies. Uh, Randy Savage is into the ring. And uh, we get a, and then George Steele follows him in. And then all four guys are brawling. We're getting to, we're going home. So we get the classic faces, each have one heel in opposing corners, and they're looking to their buddy like, you ready? Okay. Yeah. I mean, often it's the, the heels with the faces, and then the faces will outsmart them. That's right. And, Some kind you know, of it, one or two reversals. Exactly. But it, it tends to work if you are the uh, <laughs> faces, you know, doing this to, you're both getting ready to Irish whip your opponent. Unless you're the funks and you reverse it with the dosi do only to take the <laughs> offense anyways. <laughs> the dosi do Oh, that was the best crisscrossing and dosi doing I've seen in tag team wrestling, those funk brothers. I fucking loved it. And they're not silly guys, but then they do such funny That's bits. That's right, yeah. It's really amazing. <laughs> okay, so back to our match. We have, the, the, so the faces have the heels. We've got Hogan's got Macho Man. Actually, let me think about it. Now, who's got who? Yes, indeed. Hogan's got Savage and he's waiting. Steel is waiting with Adrian Adonis. So Hogan whips Savage, but after a couple of paces, Savage, he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's so <laughs> dazed that he bends over for a back body drop, which Adonis takes and, and goes over. So Adonis takes a back body drop from his own partner, <laughs> Randy no Savage. Like, the momentum of it makes no sense. I'm going to run, and then I'm going to stop and bend over, and then I'm going to back body drop again. <laughs> yeah. But Hogan does time it very nicely. He's bouncing yeah. off the ropes just in time after Adonis takes the bump from the back body drop. Yeah. A moment later, the big leg leg is crashing Boom. across him and it looks great it's a good yeah. finish it's a fantastic finish and he gets the one two three on adrian adonis the heels <laughs> win and uh, then we have a lot of fun because uh hogan's got his his classic way of celebrating but yeah. you know he's got his partner of the month george animal right. steel oh i think something is important to note is that elizabeth came out for the entrance but then they note that like it was a smart idea. They sent her to the back, you know, because this match was going to be too crazy. So she come, she walked out with them, but then she didn't stay out at ringside. Quite so. Notable by her absence, the lovely Miss Elizabeth, because George Steele usually will stop the action and like fawn over her. her and right. I guess they just didn't want that angle. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so she didn't have any role to play. Uh, yeah. And there wasn't even one. No, she just came out to the ring and then it was gone. <laughs> yeah. And, and so no interaction between her and, and Steele. None. We did have, uh, you know, some fun moments where <laughs> Hogan induces George Steele to pose. <laughs> so he does funny. his own. Yeah, yeah. they're fun. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like the cookie monster posing it's or like something. He doesn't quite know how to use, put his arms in those positions. But yeah. eventually he's doing his variation of all of Hogan's poses. Yeah, so <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, oh, I did forget to say that uh, before they go, of course, the Savage has got to make a fuss. So he throws in a chair and yeah. then and then the, our famous... Twosie chair, the yeah, twinsies. The, two, the, two chairs. the one and the twosies. I was waiting for the threesies, but I guess they didn't have them. Anyway, but then 
at one point, Adonis is halfway down the ramp to the dressing room, and Savage looks back. Yeah, he's he like, realizes he doesn't have yeah, any backup. He's like, screw this. So he goes to, and that's the end of he's, that. He's threatening like he's going to come back in to fight more, and then he looks over yeah. his shoulder and realizes Adrian's almost at the dressing room. And then right near bef- the end, before you uh, cut away, we get a good look at somebody who's brought a homemade sign, and it's it's like two feet square. Like, it's just huge, yeah. you know? And it just says, you! <laughs> That's good. Excellent main event at the Boston Gardens. Okay, so just one important note here. We got to July 28th. It's just only noting it because it's so early. I, I had no idea he would have had any appearance here. Owen Hart beat Steve Lombardi in a WWF ring, and it's the final taping of All-Star Wrestling. So this is an important sort of era where some of their long-standing syndicated shows are coming to an end, but new ones are starting up in their place. Right, but our show was also called All Star Wrestling, wasn't it? Yep. Not that, but we were, we weren't watching this. You're watching All AWA All Star Wrestling versus All watching Star Wrestling. That's right. <laughs> and this is a different one. I see. Yeah. So Steve Lombardi, of course, is the Brooklyn bra- Brawler. So it's like you know, that's uh-huh. a, it's a good spot for Owen Hart. So I mean, at this time, I'm like watching him and you know, Stampede. He, he's like there. He's, uh, he's I the can't big. Believe I missed the boat on Stampede. I had some memories of Stampede, but I guess every time I tuned it in you know i just was like who's this big slob muck and saying <laughs> you know and yeah. it just i didn't i don't ever remember like bulldogs yeah when, or when heart. jerry morrow was their main guy like there's yeah. certain guys that just don't like they don't when you're watching nwa or wwf and you go over to stampede and see certain guys you're it like, felt second is, rate it definitely was you know definitely had to feel second rate but there was some good stuff in it and getting to see like the origins of like the brian pillmans and the as controversial as he is chris benoit and all these different people like come through there but owen hart it's like the story of owen hart like i saw so many years of owen hart wrestling and he seemed so great. Like, he seemed better than Brett, like to me, like at that time. I was like, because he could do more ac- acrobatic things that Brett. He he seemed to be able to do the Brett technical wrestling, but he also was like the high flyer, like you know. So he had like the, the sort of the best of both worlds. Now tell me again what channel that was on. TSN. Thank you. Yeah, I always feel bad until I am reminded that I didn't have that channel, That's and it's right. not my fault. <laughs> it's right. not your fault, little Jeffrey. Don't feel so bad. Yeah, okay. okay. So we're, we're getting close to wrapping up this uh, setup so we can head off and, and worry about actually covering the big event. Now, don't you be skitting our, skipping our setups, dear listeners. That's you right. Know, that's right. It's just as <laughs> it's important. A part one and a part two. That's right. Eat yeah, your listen, vegetables. Listen to them both. Have some salad. Everybody has some salad. <laughs> so on August 16th, there is a body shop segment. And this is that time period where Don Morocco is, is hosting a whole bunch of body shops in lieu of Jesse Ventura being away for his film career, I assume. And we have a whole cavalcade of people on this show. So it's Don Morocco. He's sitting beside classy Freddie Blassie. And you see Sheik and Volkov and Hercules standing behind them like, you know, three bodyguards. It's, you know, a neat little setup. It's very short. Don Morocco just wants to clear up a rumor that people have said to Blassie saying, you're selling your men down the river. You're, You're selling these contracts. So Blassie does confirm that he sold one half of each contract to this man, Slick. Basically, they bring out Slick, and he comes out on TV, so this is the first time they're showing him on television. He's a tall, slender man, kind of got the, the suit, the too much jewelry, like, you know, I can't remember the, the style of hat he has on. But And his this is a character that we're very familiar with from our, you know, mid, mid to late 80s, and he, you know, was a manager in the WF for a long time. So he comes out, and I won't even try to touch on it. So I'm going to throw in a little clip here of Slick doing his thing so you can kind of get a, a feel for what this early version of Slick, which I would say is a little bit different than the Slick that we were, uh, you know, used to. Just, just who is Slick? 
Listen, I am the new dude here on the scene, and I got more money than any living human being. Slick is my name. Pain is my game, and I am a man of worldwide fame. And let me let everybody here know one thing, that you are looking at a congregation of sophistication, untampered by hesitation, and totally committed to dedication. And let the world... Woo! I can relate to that! I can relate to that! So it's nice, after he, he goes through this big, uh, you know, his big rambling... Don Morocco asks him where he gets his money, and, he's, and he closes it up with, it's nobody business where I get my money, and they, they close up the segment. And it's just, you know, it's neat that the idea that, like, we see things out of order, right? So this is like, we talked about seeing Slick already managing Sheikin Volkoff, but that's because we were talking about a recording from a house show that was, you know, recorded the day it was recorded, and then we go and find it at that date, whereas this segment was recorded earlier and doesn't air on TV. So like that idea of like what we see on TV versus what we see at the arena. So if we happen to live, let's say in Boston or wherever and went to a card, we're going to see something before it actually happened on TV or some, some, you know, there might be an outcome that we don't know. So it's always interesting that idea of like what was on TV versus what was in the arenas when they happened. Somebody had to keep track of it all. So August 17th, we won't cover it at all. We don't have any footage of it, but we've been talking about these heel versus heel tag teams. And in this case, we got a Killer Bees versus the U.S. Express 2 or American Express. So that'd be kind of neat to watch the, you know, Brunzel and Brie Byron Blair versus Dan Spivey and Mike Rotundo. That's like a totally unique matchup. That would be very interesting to watch. They'd be uh, pretty outsized in that match. Absolutely, yeah. And we're coming near the end here. So we got a primetime episode August 25th. And it's going to be one more segment to really set up the machine. So what we see is a Mean Gene update segment. It's pretty great. So he's just really, this is this segment's all really about Bobby Heenan, you know, based on the machines. And he sets it up about Heenan, you know, being just adamant that Andre the Giant is the giant machine and he needs to be suspended for life. And what they do is they throw you to a clip of the TNT show. But instead of Vince McMahon as the host, we get Gene Okerlund. So we got King Kong Bundy sitting there in like a Hawaiian shirt. He doesn't have much to say. And Bobby Heenan's hilarious. He's just like, he's really over the top, really animated. And at one point after he's arguing with Gene, he says, he tells Gene, you're too ignorant and too dumb to pay attention to this. And and Gene's like, what? So Keenan repeats it. And then Gene, they just close up on his face. He's totally like dumbfounded and has no no reply. And so (laughs) (laughs) it's it's pretty funny. And so basically Keenan promises that how they're going to prove it is that Bundy, this man right here, is going to take that mask off and show, to, show the world that he's, that he's Andre Ray. and get him suspended. So they go back from there because, again, this is on prime time. So now we're, with, now we're back with the segment with Gorilla and Bobby, and it's just it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Monsoon's telling him that he can't prove it, and he says, well, I already have. I told you. <laughs> And uh, he keeps asking, saying, "I don't, I don't want. I'm not asking for me to see. I just want Jack Tunney before there's any match. Jack Tunney to go in that room, and they can take the mask off and show him themselves." And oh, he, yeah, should he be says suspended. he points to a phone. I'm waiting for that yeah, call. <laughs> I'm waiting that phone. I'm waiting for it to ring right now. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. It's really funny. It's so subtle. It's like so simple, right? Like, but it's just it, it's it's good comedy. So that will bring this episode of Legendary Wrestling Obsession to a close. But the emails, oh my God, I'm just, (laughs) as it goes, 
the opportunity to be the first person to email us is still open. <laughs> so you could earn a legendary spot in the podcast history by emailing us to tell us about, you know, some story that you uh, want to share with us and, and then we'll Get share it, it on the ground floor. <laughs> That's right. Because we find that the stories of when you were young and you still believed, you still believed those are the most sincere and genuine endearing. So please, you know, give us, drop us a line and tell us, you know, what it was like when you were watching wrestling as a youngster or, or whenever, but connection to a particular show. Yeah. And TV, we're looking for 80 stuff. stuff. Yeah, of course, please. Or 70s stuff, but you can keep your nineties until we're ready for it, which will be later on. <laughs> if this podcast, uh, God willing, is, you know, we keep doing it forever. So our, Next episode is going to focus on the big event in Toronto. It's pretty exciting. And uh, we, we, we just had to take this whole era, this whole time, and, and extend it because so much happens and it's such juicy, such great stuff. So thanks for li listening so far, and we will hopefully have you back next week. So if you're going to try to email us, please do so at legendarywrestlingobsession at gmail.com. We also would encourage you to spread the word. It's always the thing is like getting more people to listen. If you know somebody who can't find our show, they can go to legendarywrestlingobsession at podbean.com. But where you really want to go is to Patreon, because right now that's where we're going to be uploading fairly soon our Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff episode, which features all of the juicy details of this summer on the clothesline heard around the world. As Paul Orndorff turns back into a heel, the top bad guy in the Federation, and goes after Hulk Hogan and some of the greatest wrestling memories of my childhood. So you can find that stuff at patreon.com forward slash legendary wrestling obsession. And that's also where you find the extra episodes for Growing Up AWA. We're going to be releasing the Crockett Cup. If soon enough in the fall, we'll be having a fall time, meaning what time we're covering. There'll be the Ricky Steamboat versus Savage Superstars of Wrestling match where Savage sets up the angle for WrestleMania 3. So lots of great stuff on Patreon. So if you want to go over, head over there, there's extra shows. It's a great way to support us and let, let us know that you want us to keep doing this show. Okay, that's going to wrap us up for this week. We'll see you next week at the big event. Yeah.